0: third place this is the second week of remedy month uh i'm back here again with ryan from week one we're going deep into this remedy pie as as it were and we're going to be exploring (laughs) the uh the masterpiece that is max Payne 2 and love stories but uh before we get in i want to obviously welcome you back ryan uh it's a pleasure to have you again yeah it's nice uh, being back the you are now the official most uh uh guest appearance uh on the show right now you're At a solid three it'll be four next week three
1: official one bonus
0: all right so yeah it's yeah two it's two two official one bonus so i count that as three okay yeah hell yeah yeah so we're now yeah you're you're officially number one in the third Let's place go. uh uh guest uh camp uh, appearances first place on third place <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a, was it an oxymoron I guess it would be. yeah <laughs> oh my god so because you are the first guest who has made a third appearance on the show and i have not fully figured out what that is going to be for some people uh i figured we both agreed since on the second appearance someone makes i asked them what they've been playing i figured ryan
1: yeah. Why don't you ask gotta, me what I've been playing? We gotta know what you've been playing. <laughs> our, our gracious host. <laughs> the gamer has our, to... Our st- humble, gracious host. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, Yeah, the gamer has to tell everyone what he's been playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I've been playing. Uh, the Resident Evil 4 demo. <laughs> That's all I've been <laughs> playing other than The Last of Us 2. Uh, and Max Payne 2. But... Uh, as we me and ryan were like talking for an hour and a half before we started um <laughs> but yeah i've played the resident evil 4 demo i think at least 20 times now uh, it's oh it's becoming an, it's become unhinged um because also we are recording this on uh you know saint patrick's day have you know granted this oh episode, yeah. yeah this, this episode's Happy coming patties yeah uh, a few days late when this comes out but hey uh uh, today was the day that the review embargoes came out uh for or the review embargoes lifted for Resident Evil 4 remake and um let's say the reception was uh just was fantastic uh to say the least everyone just saying yeah the capcom made the best game of all time again and it's resident evil 4
1: the coveted 10 out of 10 by IGN oh yeah the, the
0: masterpiece uh declaration <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, everywhere you go, you will see ten out of tens for this game, which is a. Uh, I I think the last time that I saw this unanimous appraise for a game was Elden Ring last year. Um mm. I think Elden Ring actually did better, quote unquote, um last year in terms of reviews. Uh I think Elden Ring's like at a ninety-six out of a hundred average score, which is amazing, Damn. mind you, but uh yeah.
1: So residual- what are you what are you playing the demo on?
0: Uh, my PS5. It's available okay. for every. It's available for everything. The game's coming out for right now. Uh, Is it so, coming out for PS4? Yes. Weirdly enough. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it's so strange that it's coming out for PS4, um, even though it's not coming out for the Xbox One. It's so strange. No um, way. Yeah, it's coming to PS4, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, uh, and PC. Uh, not the Xbox One for some reason. Uh, Capcom just said uh, no more with that system, but I guess Sony is paying them some good money, uh, with the <laughs> marketing deals. And it's like, hey, you make something for our old system. We still have 110 million people on that system. <laughs> There's not enough PS5ers in this world. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have been playing it uh, religiously, the demo, because, you know, I'm not special enough to get like, uh, uh, access to games yet Un- hopefully that will be something I get with the show is to get early access to games that would be wonderful for me Um, but this game looks amazing I can't believe that Capcom has somehow elevated Resident Evil 4 which in many sense I thought was impossible I think a lot of people thought it was impossible that they could make Resident Evil 4 again and well the- somehow they did it I'm genuinely shocked. I mean, I'm shocked in the sense of like, wow, they actually, they just did it. I knew that they could, but like, just to be able to be holding it and being like, wow, I get to play as Leon Kennedy again, (laughs) going through Spain and (laughs) suplexing villagers. There's like a a caveman instinct in my brain that has been (laughs) lodged in me ever since I played that as a teenager.
1: How far does does the demo go? Just that intro? Yeah, it's just the intro. It, it stops after the bingo line. Okay. <laughs> so it,
0: it, it's exactly the demo that it should have been. You know, it's the famous village opening sequence where you're tested to see if you can survive. Um, mm. And one thing I love is that Capcom no longer is doing a time limit for the, the demo. They used to do this for some of their demos. They would put a time limit on you. Making so that you could only play it a certain amount of times uh, before they said uh, (laughs) stop it. Um, So they didn't do it this one, and so as a result, I have played this nonstop. I have also played the bonus secret mode that was in the game that in this demo called Mad Chainsaw Mode, uh, which is ludicrous. (laughs) Uh, It just it just swarms you with harder enemies. And the Chainsaw Man is now has a flaming chainsaw. Oh my god. So it's like an insta-kill. It's insane. And it's it's only in the demo that they put this in. Um, It's not in the final game, this mad chainsaw mode. Uh, It's incredible. I've already figured out the secret that you can find the TMP in the village. Um, Don't know if that's going to be in the final game. Probably not. But yeah, you can find the TMP in a well in the village if you discard all your items in the in, in your inventory uh, before you get into the village. Wait, uh, what you, is the TMP? It's the submachine. It's the starting submachine gun. Oh, uh, uh, okay, yeah, and yeah, they included it as a secret in the uh, demo. If you discard all your items in your in your attache case before you get to the village. <laughs> you can unlock the well that holds it down there, um, which is a brilliant little, like, just hidden detail that you can discover, and you can only discover it just by, you know, playing around with the demo, and it feels very, re- like, you know, old school in that sense of just, like, finding a secret in the game that was just hidden away. Same with the Mad Chainsaw mode. It's a thing you have to, like, input a code on the title screen to unlock, Um
1: R two L one R two left on red right up left on red right up.
0: Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, that like that type of thing. I don't remember the code off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I've I'm sure everyone who listens to the show, you know, you follow me on Twitter, and you know, I have been religiously posting about RE four remake. This is like one of the very few instances where I am like full blown hyped up for a game that just rarely happens nowadays where are just like I, I can only think about it it's the only <laughs> thing I can think about right now like we are one week away I've been waiting for this for years I've been on both sides of the spectrum in terms of anticipation I've been afraid about this game I've been terrified that they were going to change it for the worse for modern sensibilities and now I'm on the complete opposite side where I'm thinking this is going to be the greatest game of all time again that's so Uh, sick yeah so that's what i've been playing and then the other thing i've been playing is the last of us part two again um because of the show just finished its first season the tv Mm -hmm. show adaptation just finished season one and i was like well i have to play two again i have to finish my playthrough that i didn't finish for the show and there's so many like just little details about that game just just like people don't talk about like even i didn't talk about like i was telling ryan beforehand it's like yeah they really uh make uh, uh owen like the main sort of love interest <laughs> of abby they make him basically like a sex object i forgot all about that pretty much <laughs> like showing his armpits and being like "Oh, beautiful like beautiful like uh glamorous man who just wants to play with the fish and in, in the aquarium and he just wants to, you know, go on his boat. It's like, oh my God, you're so dreamy, Owen. You're so beautiful. <laughs> it's a shame you had to kill your, fo- your, your, your uh, companion in uh, the WLF. Um, but there's, there, I know a lot of people will still like lambast Last of Us. It's such a property that everyone will forever hate. Um, it's very, even though the game is very aggressive it's also like weirdly like kind of you know like a therapeutic experience like there's there's such a unique experience of just like walking around this like hyper beautiful rendition of Seattle in the apocalypse that just feels very like I don't know like calming to me like just walk like just taking in all the details um you know, as someone who has kind of an experience with Seattle, having seen it a few times, my dad's college friend is uh, lives on Bainbridge Island, which I think is where the Seraphites are based in, mm. in the game. So it's like, I kind of know it, so there's kind of like a weird, like, tourism part to it for me. It's like, oh, hey, there's the Seattle Seahawks Stadium and the WLF have like stationed themselves in the fake seattle seahawks stadium and i was like oh that's like
1: oh i didn't know that was
0: yeah it's supposed to be where they're at yeah it's supposed to be based off of it and it looks pretty pretty accurate to the actual place um but yeah i love that there's kind of like a weird tourism part to the game like for me i don't know if other people have that too because the game is so hyper realistic looking and so accurate to you know real life in a sense that i almost feel like i'm engaging in like a tourism simulator that's mixed with like this hyper violent like uh a snuff film simulator at the same (laughs) time
1: it feels it feels like it's in seattle like it feels very seattle oh yeah Um, all the rain that's like
0: just present in the game at all times seemingly or just the overcast skies I'm just like wow this is the pacific northwest to a t
1: how far past like the apocalypse is last was two uh
0: 25 years cuz the first 25. game said 20
1: years after okay yeah it's funny cuz you can it it feels like the uh seattle diversity and like Seattle liberalism is like, it still has a residual like, mm-hmm. it's it still resides there in this kind of residual way. Um, you see all the-
0: all sorts of rainbow,
1: yeah, yeah, a- <laughs>
0: yeah. And you know, that's another thing is like people like will lambass the game as being like libtard propaganda. It's like yeah, it's, that's more like like them trying to dodge things, uh, dodge accusations it feels um,
1: very organic though to like what seattle you know, yeah even even 25 years after the fact you yeah. know
0: i'm just waiting for some like indian guy to appear in the game it's <laughs> like i worked as an IT administrator <laughs> yeah i worked at microsoft yeah i'm just waiting for that i'm surprised you know because it's a sony game i'm surprised they didn't even mention like like, like a character that's like oh yeah i worked at sucker punch games because <laughs> sucker punch is a Sony studio and sucker punch is located in washington okay so i was like oh man that's a missed opportunity you dog you could have like introduced some real life quality like are there, that,
1: any, other, are there any other seattle well there's valve games? valve but i mean games that take place in seattle oh oh god um i'm not sure
0: actually no um Infamous Second Son is okay. Uh, in, oh,
1: yeah. Infamous is such a—that's such a Seattle game too. Yeah, the Second the son. Yeah, Second Son is—it's another Troy Baker vehicle. Or, yeah, yeah. I With love his, his beanie and yeah, his
2: beanie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was like a PS4 system yeah. stellar. That was one of the first ones, and yeah. I
0: remember—I remember getting it because I was very into Infamous at the time. Uh, and I still love Infamous. I still think Infamous is fantastic. It's a oft forgotten franchise in the catalog of Sony on PS3 and four. Um,
1: That's a great work of like liberal art. Uh, <laughs> even down to like you have to do like Banksy style <laughs> graffiti and <laughs> it's yeah, and everything get... on paper about that game I hate, but it, it's such a fun game. It's uh,
0: again, it's like that weird, like a game set in Seattle feels very just calming. I don't know what it is. It's... Is life,
1: life is strange? Is that oh, yeah, it, it's not
0: Seattle, but it's Pacific Northwest. It's that like
1: twilight, that, yeah, Oregon. I think it's Oregon, I believe, okay. is the setting. I was just uh, in Seattle a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. It feels kind of apocalyptic there now, like post post lockdown. Seattle's not, Do, not uh, doing well. It's pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, my sister lived there
0: from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, but she didn't live in the city. She lived, uh, she lived near a town called Sumner, I think, which okay. is like to the south, and. I remember it was like 2021, I believe. It was 2019 or 2021, I can't remember. But I remember just like seeing it all. I was like, oh, wow, things have changed. Yeah. Uh, I-, I love Bainbridge Island. Bainbridge is like idyllic. know, mm-hmm. um, it's this little island resort. Well, it's not a resort, but it's like this island town that's like so like hippie. And it's like what operations that I kind of like adore it sort of thing and you like take a ferry to get to it. There's <laughs> there's something like adorable about it that like uh-huh. I love about Bainbridge. Like as much as like Seattle will fall, like I still have like a very connect like a connection to like the Pacific Northwest for some reason. Yeah. Which also, you know, Alan Wake takes
1: place in Washington too. So you know, uh connect that to remedy. Uh, I mean, like Missoula's right on the cusp of that. It's like It's about like the outer limit of like Pacific Northwest in the Rockies. Culturally, like Missoula is very akin to Seattle and Portland and in Denver. It's like a it's like a happy medium between all those.
0: Yeah, I mean, my my sister, her husband actually, he went to Wash Washington State, so he like knows Pullman, and he grew up in Vancouver, Washington, right across from Portland. So like he's A native to that area so maybe that's why i feel like a weird connection to it is like just sort of fam fam, family ties if you will (laughs) uh but yeah uh it lasts us too it's still an amazing game shocker it's not bad like everyone on twitter tells you it is or um same with the tv show the tv show is like actually great i love how simple it is um there's no like weird ambiguity at all in the tv show it's very like cut and dry uh it's very simple it's very short um and i like that like because i know i'm not like a big tv watcher but i know like a lot of shows now try to be like weirdly ambiguous about things or like try to make some out there wild story plot points like the last of us is just you know an old gruff dad taking his adoptive daughter to salt Lake city. Yeah. That's all that's, that's very refreshing in the, in the modern sensibility. And I, I I could see that's why a lot of people watched it is very simple to understand. And, you know, now the show's probably birthed like a new generation of gamers which is like a weird thing i have to like wrestle with the fact with like <laughs> my manager is like oh yeah i've never played the game but i love the show i'm like oh, okay um oh great he's going to play it now like, i saw <laughs> i saw like a tiktok screenshot of like this like a uh, woman who's just like gamers why were you hiding the last of us from us like oh my you know, god us people you know all i thought about all i thought games were, were pokemon and super mario you didn't you didn't <laughs> tell me that you had this emotional story yeah uh, i was like oh lord i don't i don't want you playing a game let alone the last of us i don't want you like playing anything if you and she wrote like on this caption like sincerely like a like a a re- like a, a book reader it's like, oh no, oh honey, <laughs> like you don't need to, you don't have to wa- play the Last of Us to get the experience. You just saw the show,
1: uh. But yeah, no, I, I imagine been- there's got to be renewed interest in the games. Oh, because the the thing that drives me insane is like the outrage towards Last of Us Part Two was uh, absurd and annoying as is. But then, up until the show, it was sort of like the road. Uh, default opinion that it's bad like you'd see in the replies on anything last was part two where it's like it's not it's beyond outrage and they just take it for granted that it's bad mm-hmm. um that was the kind of tone kind of the way like that people talk like blonde like yeah like, like it you gotta it's just assume that it's bad and that you think it's bad uh, yeah because the 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 popular consensus has told the general public it's bad that to me is like really infuriating because it's it's not it's a masterpiece
0: but i yeah what i will say is it seems like the consensus is starting to shift a little bit i will say there seems to be more people willing to understand it now yeah um which is a refreshing change of pace you know three years after the game came out i'm i still see those angry replies i i always see like the one it's like "Uh, neil Druckmann uh, ruined joel's (laughs) character i was like yeah really really yeah what are you talking about like like this this like reductive or this like reflexive like uh, it's like uh they put on the glasses and they get the red pen and begin to be like well uh neil Druckmann, if if i was the writer um i wouldn't do that uh yeah joel joel would not behave this way because you know i play the video game and you as the writer and the creator or co-creator you have no idea what you're doing and it's like (laughs) it's like that like like ninny little like uh teacher like teacher who's just like Uh. like you you have to follow the strict storylines of like well, this character motivation does not make sense because it was established that you know blah 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 oh, God, I'm sure yeah. you I'm sure you know that critique like that that voice absolutely and yeah. you're beginning to see I'm I will say I I've see, I see that on my timeline cuz the for you page is putting it on there mm-hmm. which, which is like oh man can you fix that like I love the for you page like 2 weeks ago It was like just like video game stuff, and then like you know all the people that I follow in the circle, like all that stuff too. But now it's just like angry replies in my for you page saying "The Last of Us sucks." I'm just like, what is this 2020?
1: Um, God, they they can't accept uh, any character that has like any sort of immoral or just like any sort of human flaw. Um, I mean, I'm not a, I. somewhat embarrassed say but like i i edited for screen rant uh -hmm. on weekends for a while um Mm -hmm. just to have the remote job and i mean that's like within film but their whole thing was like dc marvel and all that and Mm -hmm. i would have to screen writers pitches and like things to write about and a good majority of the shit that these nerds would like pitch is like doctor strange did this and this is bad and they, they need to fix it in the next marvel release Oh lord this this character it's like no that's <laughs> that's in i mean the, those movies specifically are, are pretty dumb as is but like that that attitude is very pervasive in that sort of nerd culture um yeah. I, it, it, any sort of like human it, it, human quality is like a flaw that needs to be re- morally refined um <clears throat> or or moldable like you, or moldable to the player like that'd be a kind of a blank slate for you mm-hmm. to just assume your own moral agenda onto them
0: i i i feel like gamers are very i it's funny cuz in the midst of the gamergate thing there was an article saying gamers are entitled uh <laughs> sort of thing which at the time i was like no they're not well then after the last of us 2 i'm like oh well maybe that's actually true Gamers yeah. do do have a sense of entitlement where they think that because, you know, because you pay $60, you are therefore entitled to the thing, the story that you want. It's like, well, that's not the point about art. Art is about experiencing something that, you know, can push you or mold you or change you in a profound way, and it doesn't all have to be agreeable to your sense of taste. Yeah. Uh, and The Last of Us 2. I mean, I could talk about The Last of Us 2 for like years at this point because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. Like, I don't even think I covered as much as I could on my own episode. Like, there's so much there that people are just like not reading into at all. Like, they just see, like, all they see is like they pull up the highlighter and it's like, well, Joel, why would Joel. Uh, let these strangers in and do blah 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 it's like well uh here's the thing why does that fucking matter that's not the point it's not yeah. lot it's not logical in the sort of like you know we had to f- be explaining things to you over and over and over again how to get a point a point across it, the last of us too is kind of like a game that operates within emotions and humans can be emotionally destructive like love is a destructive force that makes people do insane things that don't make sense and yeah. I, I feel that gamers are entitled and
1: <clears throat> yeah i mean that entitlement i noticed when witcher 3 was out and i richard 3 is a great game but Geralt being a, a sort of dry quote unquote morally neutral character yeah. he became a a perfect like blank slate for gamers to mm-hmm. create in their head their own version of Geralt and i remember like reading forums of people being like um my the my Geralt is uh this troubadour kind of guy who does this this and this and so what decisions do i need to do to make him like this and Mm-hmm. Um, I'm playing my Geralt as this. It's like, dude, what do you mean you're Geralt? He's he's, he's his a defi- own thing. He's, he's a defined character. He's external, you know. And it's yeah. why I like Neil Druckmann as, as much as he... I mean, he is a libtard in yeah. his own way. But he but he's first and foremost an artist in that he's given you characters that are wholly themselves um, beyond mm-hmm. whatever you can attach. Like You got to live in their world. Um. Yeah. Either accept them or you don't. You know.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, is a concept that a lot of games gamers don't comprehend nowadays because they've been so lulled into a formula of trying to appease them. You know, you see so many games try to get all the markets or the demographics. They all try to like get you hooked on for hours and hours and hours and hours. And so when you have this hyperlinear violent extremely emotional game that drains you of your spirit in a way like where you're just like begging for it to stop and it's just like you can't you can't stop the roller coaster (laughs) yeah like it, it it's like so foreign to the average player that they can't comprehend it yeah it's i'm curious what to the tv Crowd is going to react to season two and I guess three because they said that See C- Last of Us Two is probably going to be split into two seasons. Um, mm. which could be interesting, honestly. But I'm interested to see what the audience, like the
1: TV audience, is going to feel. Um, I feel like the T, the, like those who haven't played the game, are going to love Joel getting killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, i mean they like it's like the red wedding on game of thrones like they all love that mm-hmm. um, they love main characters dying i think that the gamers are just gonna get pissed off all over again even though it's a lot the last
0: of us discourse machine will never end and i kind of like think that's like a sleigh in a way that this game <laughs> will because even the original game got got slack or uh got smack talk for the ending like people would say oh it's just it's just the road like you know it's just Cormac McCarthy's the road or, or whoever wrote it was it Cormac McCarthy yeah, right? yeah 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 so it's just the road it's not original uh the oh, ending god, is too you know i i remember that people forget that the first game had its own controversies yeah uh, not as extreme as 2 god but You know, The Last of Us is like a discourse machine that will never end, and I kind of think that's amazing. Like, (laughs) I don't think I don't I can't think of a franchise of this scope that elicits such visceral responses out of people.
1: The angry gamer is such a funny one because they—they're the most nerd. (laughs) Yeah they're so invested in if like if they don't actually hate it that i don't know what i don't know what that is some because my my favorite video game review is like on amazon for skyrim that was like <laughs> i put in 400 hours on this piece of shit game okay? <laughs> it's like you you don't hate it that if you put in 400 hours like a full-time job worth yeah you this game, you liked it a little that, bit <laughs> yeah at least a little yeah <laughs> i i <laughs> To be that it, invested in something you hate, you know? Yeah, no. It's like, yeah, people need to, like,
0: just nut up or shut up about <laughs> The Last of Us. Like, I I feel like I'm at that point where it's just, like, I can't take any more discourse on this franchise. It's like, there's one correct view on it. And it's, you know, if you're on year three of hating it, it's like, you're you're a lost cause at this point. hmm uh that that review just reminded me of old Newgrounds videos of people like giving out like these hyper detailed praising uh, reviews <laughs> of like animations and then giving it a zero yeah yeah it's like that that just like sparked a memory in my mind i was like <laughs> the, the, i love those kind of reviews because it's just like it, it's either a troll or it's just uh, some guy being like earnest <laughs> Yeah, and it's like I fucking hate this game. I put my whole life into it. I can't stop thinking about it. I hate it. <laughs> oh my god. Um,
1: I yeah, suspect this- that it's like they're such weak willed hedonists that they they can't resist the fun gameplay. Um, <laughs> but because their souls are just rotten, they're they just naturally instinctively irritated by, uh, the morale because last of us too is it, both last of us. They're, their moral story. Like there's a morality at play and it's an exploration of morality and there's, there's a good ethic to it, you know? Um, And I think that's what they like fundamentally. Yeah. Are angered about much in the same, like, like, you know, Jack and filthy right now going on about Ayn Rand. It just brings out, you know, these, these <laughs> cretins who just. Yeah. Uh, any 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 work of art that espouses any sort of true good ethics you know and that is direct about its ethics um just irritates certain people Um,
0: yeah and i feel like also with gamers the certain people it irritates yeah like yeah if you make a certain thing and you say certain things that are true and a certain group of the population just it like is like an attack on their on their compass of like thought mm-hmm. or whatever. But at gamers 2, there's this issue of like last 2, where it's you have a game that does not present choice in the matter. And so suddenly it's like that strikes like that's like a spear into the heart of a gamer. It's like, I have no choice in the matter.
1: I oh, it to, like it like throws that in your face at at the end of like Last of Us Part 1. Yeah, it know. sets you up.
0: It set it sets like you up like you have to
1: kill the doctor and <laughs> um, it sets you
0: up and you can't you can't
1: have Joel pick the
0: answer he gives to Ellie at the end of the game. Like the game had already established that you have no choice in this universe. It's just The Last of Us 2 goes so extreme in that fashion that it's just like yeah like gamers can't have can't Dude. they can't they can't accept a thing that like gives them no choice and then also like speaks to like truths about people
1: i love that so much it's they do have a choice where it's like okay if you don't like it you can turn off the game you, you can know. return it you can turn off yeah <laughs> you motherfuckers yeah but no because
0: again I think this is where Neil's brilliance comes in is that he knows that you want to see what happens. Now granted if we didn't have the age of Twitter and YouTube and you couldn't figure out what was in the game and you didn't like get video confirmation of what happens I think the reaction could have been a little different because Mm. it's like if I don't like a thing I can just go on YouTube and find the ending. Yeah, And I think you know the, you know, but I, what I, I guess what I was trying to get is like Neil. Neil understands that you are a like a little pervert, and you want to see <laughs> what happens. Yeah, like it's uh makes me think of like David Fincher. He had like a he was being interviewed. And he's like he thought the audience were all a bunch of perverts, <laughs> and it's just like I think Neil has that same philosophy. He's like, yeah, I know you're a bunch of like sick, you know, perverts who want to see how this game goes where the sort of uh nasty sort of grit that it uh explores i know that you want to see it you're a gamer yeah that's the whole point yeah like it last of us 2 is like kind of like a it's like a almost like a fetishistic uh simulator yeah um yeah, and I just don't think people can comprehend that in the in this day and age, especially when everyone is so primed for a take that <laughs> it's like The Last of Us repels takes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how season two's reaction will be uh, from the show's perspective. And I can't wait for part three because that's definitely happening. Um, they haven't the confirmed game. it. They haven't confirmed oh, it, but I know what's going to happen. Um What's it gonna be I don't know i I don't think they're gonna do Ellie. I think I would rather Ellie's story be over um i can i I wouldn't be against an Abby game um, but I wouldn't be against like a game where you play as someone new and you run into Abby and or Ellie somehow like there's so many possibilities honestly
1: for a third game that I really don't know what they're gonna do, hmm. But they're gonna bring in Nathan Drake in <laughs> the Naughty Dog extended Cinemag- universe. <laughs> well, te- yeah, technically, I think okay.
0: Well, Uncharted Three had like a teaser for The Last of Us, like uh, as like an Easter egg before the game got announced. Um, that no one noticed when <laughs> Uncharted Three came out in 2011. No one noticed that they snuck in a Last of Us uh, teaser in there. Um but obviously the Uncharted universe kept going without no problem. So but that would be kind of great just seeing like Nathan Drake just randomly appear as like some <laughs> grizzled old veteran. I mean, in all honesty, he'd be perfect for the world because he can he can jump better than any of the other characters in that franchise in the last yeah, franchise.
1: Right. Who is Crash Bandito or Crash Bandicoot? Is that Naughty Dog?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Jack. And Jack ben and Jack. And yeah, well tending you know they they include the jack eggs as like collectibles in uh Uncharted and uh The Last of Us. That's right. So
1: yeah, the strange relic. Um Last of which... Us Three is gonna be a collect a thon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 oh my god, that would be fucked. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Abby and Lev going around some like mystic island collecting eggs. <laughs> Just like that would be hilarious I would yeah. love that kind of that would be such a stupid idea little
1: zoinky music
0: and- <laughs> <laughs> yoinky spoinky music oh my yeah. god um, but yeah that's what I've been playing just two games at the moment obviously minus Max Payne too but we will get into that I'll but bet. I think to transition to the topic of tonight uh, I wanted to discuss love stories uh Games are, I think, a unique medium for the love story. No Max Payne 2 is a love story. It's a film noir love story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like love stories in games are kind of like a unique opportunity and a unique way to experience a love story. Because games are such long endeavors that you do get attached to some of these characters that appear in your stories or your games. That you do grow attached to and sort of the blooming romance that happens is very natural and it feels very earned at the same time and there's so many great <laughs> there's so many <laughs> great couples i mean for one uncharted nathan and elena were like one of, one of my earliest favorite romances yeah And yeah. the the will they won't they uh uh romance that they have like that that was one of my first Real memories of just being like exposed to like a love story, even though it's not like a traditional love story, like it. That's not what Uncharted is about, but it's a it's a it's a pillar, I guess you could
1: say, of Uncharted. And is there like a through line throughout the whole series? And oh yeah, who, who's he? Who's his fling in the Chloe. second one? Chloe. Yeah, yeah, he Ooh. hooks up with this like Tomb Raider hottie. Yeah, Tomb Raider Hottie that
0: like knows she's like sexy and it's like, you I know you want this ass Drake. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh I mean Al- true, but yeah. Elena
1: is that um that sort of Indiana Jones romancing the stone. Yep, yep. Uh resume before Ashley archetype. <laughs> yeah, you
0: she's, know she's the she's the documentary filmmaker who has to <laughs> has to make it, you know, survive
1: in the in the in the pirating world of nathan drake i love that uh, her way of like being annoying is that uh increasingly she just gets more and more nagging uh <laughs> by like the fourth one <laughs> yeah she's yeah she comes
0: to the location that you like were lying to her about she's <laughs> like, so no job huh? no M- malaysia job hmm? when you're coming home for dinner yeah when I'm, when are you gonna have my pasta salad <laughs> she doesn't she does not have that accent but no uh <laughs> It's like, when are you going to have pasta salad and then I can I can uh, nag you about me being better at video games? Unrealistic, if I might add you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Elena Fisher would never be a Crash Bandicoot uh, uh, supremacist in my <laughs> world. But whatever. Yeah, I love that yeah, her way of love
1: is being a nag and also being very attached to being a journalist. <laughs> she's such a realistic character for that reason, and it's funny. Like, can contrast. What's Chloe? Is the the hottie, right? Yeah, she's the hottie. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, like contrasting her with her, because like Elena is such a, she's such a, just realistic, mundane woman. Uh, uh, even aside from her, like adventure seeking. Side, but she's just she's just such an average. Yeah, she's just normal, nursing, which, you know, which for Nathan Drake is perfect. It's very cute and endearing.
0: Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> like I, I, I remember being younger and like quoting her because she was like one of the first female characters. I was like, oh my god, I love you. Uh, she's she's a beautiful woman and she's got sass to boot, but. You know that that's like an example of a love story is that you know and that one's a unique one too spanning four games and you really see they sort of like will they won't they fling uh love happen but you can you can go to other games that were like the love story is like a central part whether it be like a rpg where it's like you get to pick and choose who you want to be your romance partner like Shepard and Liara from Mass Effect or you know we were talking about this beforehand. Uh uh Okay, is it Titus or Titus? I can never uh I say Titus. I always say um, T- I say Titus. I know I think it's supposed to be Tedus, which is stupid. Interesting.
1: Well, because it's all like he's got the water sword and it's all watery. i just assume like Tides, yeah, Tidus,
0: but yeah, Titus and Yuna, I think is one of the de facto they're so lovely lo- yeah love stories and games it's a, such a i think seeing like i can imagine being younger and like seeing final fantasy 10 for the first time with ps2 graphics and those beautiful cg scenes of them in the water and like seeing yuna dance do her dance in the water was like a transformative experience for a lot of people and their story is so tragic you know knowing the events of 10 and i think yeah. that's i think that's why their love stories is so uh impactful for so many people and then that's not just even you know final fantasy has a lot of love stories you've like squall and renoa in 8 you have uh in 7 you have like cloud and aerith um i'm blanking on the Zidane and I forget the girl's
1: name in nine. Uh, yeah, I never played that one.
0: Yeah. I, but like, yeah, there's know.
1: there's love stories all throughout like Final Fantasy and and even like preceding 10, because I think 10 was a turning point in, in the depiction of romance in games. <clears throat> uh, like, preceding that was like the typical Mario and Peach. You yes. You got to.
0: So- save the damsel
1: yeah it's very like jordan peterson you gotta kill the dragon (laughs) bowser to save the the damsel you know Mm -hmm. zelda was the same thing link has to defeat ganon like zelda is kind of interesting because they always include an a third girl that like link uh friend zones because he's just totally (laughs) aloof to like (laughs) yeah he's
0: he's a fucking retard
1: yeah she's like sarah my best friend (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: I think love stories speak to a very like uh, DNA type thing of just like you want to, to a male thing. Yeah. If you want to save the girl, you want to be with the girl.
1: It's a part sort of, of th- the conquest. Yeah.
0: And you want to take what's yours, sort of thing.
1: Final Fantasy X, though, is much more feminine in its depiction of a romance, and you got Yuna. Mm-hmm. doing her dances and then like the the key scene from that is like when they're what like dancing in the yeah they're in the water, water
0: and, 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 crying, and I that, like eunice crying you got that like
1: j-pop music going yeah and,
0: it's so i remember
1: feeling so moved by that and also like god when, when that came out was that an 01 game yeah that was
0: an 01 game
1: yeah same year as max Payne one mm-hmm. um how old i was born in i was 10 I remember like being so moved and also like I hope no one walks in the room while I'm playing this.
0: I want to see your gay little romance. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what are you? Um that was yeah, that was big. Um in terms of uh depicting a, a true love story. Yeah, um
0: I will say the Japanese the role-playing games from japan they have a lot of great love stories and i feel like th- because those games are so long that those relationships feel earned at the same time not to say like a short game can't earn like a romance like max pain 2 very yeah. short game but it feels <laughs> completely earned you know the romance between max and mona but like you know i can think of a uh, xeno gears this Faye and ellie like mm. uh uh, you know Ellie abandoning uh her country and her health just to be with uh Faye, um, I think of Sora and Kyrie and Kingdom Hearts, like another case of will they, won't they sort of thing where they seemingly are kept apart by forces greater than them, and you as a fan spend almost twenty years trying to see if that will lead to anything but there's like that beautiful scene where they share the pow fruit, like intertwi- <laughs> intertwining their destinies to- together. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I think if anything, like that, those are some of like the romances I think of are like in JRPGs, but even like modern games, you can look at like, heck, you know, we were just saying the last of us, you can look at uh, the relationships that Ellie has with both Riley and Dina and how different those are yeah. from, from just like your normal like falling in love with you know the one you care about the most like you can look at The Last of Us as way of portraying a love story and how love can lead to violence and which feels very true it feels almost like Evangelion in that sense where love yeah, is such definitely. a brutal force of emotion that it will just tear you apart and ruin who you are as a person. And you see that that's, with Elle, you see that with Ellie. That's um, the only
1: game I can think of within the past 10 years that uh that is truly romantic in that sense. Um yeah. I'm I'm reading the uh the game informer of Max Payne 2 when mm-hmm. this came out, and on the cover it says level tear us apart. <laughs> and then in the article itself, they're going over like how awesome and gory Max Payne 1 was. And then yeah. they, write, they write, define both our expectations and the mainstream media's perception of Rockstar as purveyors of cheap shock ta- cheap shock tactics. Max Payne 2 is something that we could never have guessed. Dot, dot, dot. A love story.
0: <laughs> yeah, Max Payne is uh, they could not fathom that there was going to be like subtlety uh, to come with the sequel. Uh, yeah. Even though Max Payne operates in a very primal emotional realm in my opinion you know with how max and mona play off of each other but you know we'll save that to when we get to max pain two because i think there's a lot to be said about those two
1: Um, yeah
0: um but i guess what games are kind of a unique medium for a love story because you can do it in both ways you can do it in the linear sense and you know the linear sense can uh, blossom into like sort of soap opera, uh, long questions about you know will they end up together? You know, Uncharted for one. Uncharted, even though Uncharted's a very simple premise on its surface, you know, it's a it's an Indiana Jones uh, inspired game,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the fact that it was a series that lasted you know practically a decade long and it didn't give like a final resolution exactly to like Nate and Elena's romance like you me as a fan as you know when i was like 12 or 13 when i got into the series and then like paying off when i'm like 23 22 i was like oh finally we got that we got that like you know <laughs> they, they finally settle down and have a kid who's like a like a weird nerdy girl I'm like yep that's a, that's that's my Nate and Elena like yeah uh i feel like games you know, and, uh, sure, you could you could say the same for, like, you know, a, a TV series that has, like, that sort of overarching theme looming over it. But, like, games, I think because you add that layer of playability, that it becomes something kind of magical. Like, you're becoming one with the product, and suddenly now the connections are even stronger because my immersion was so eloquently detailed and laid out that it just you know it, it's just like it clicks like you know once i am sitting down and i spend hours upon hours in this world in this universe suddenly love makes sense to me like you know mass effect mass effect is a series where you can pick your love interest it doesn't matter who you could be a male and yeah. you, know, you can live your you know your your gay wonderful life Or you can just, you know, be, like, romancing your blue alien GF. (laughs) Like, you know, the
1: BioWare approach is like this LGBT slash furry tableau of romantic options yeah it's very perverse uh, <laughs> in that sense
0: it's you know, like giving you the buffet and being like yeah you've you've you do it we don't want you to.
1: figure it out yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> is, and that's been like a recurring thing for a lot of their games i mean mass effect i remember how like mass effect one of the selling things was the romances yeah like you could you know you could pick your gf or your bf and live out your space opera uh and have like your like one romance scene every like 20 hours uh sort of thing that but was like, a
1: funny one because like playing through it it's just like wait i want to i want to fuck the krogan <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly it, it feels so very like fetishistic and per- <laughs> what is <perverted>. that <laughs> yeah yeah like what's a krogan oh it's like this weird like centipede like brute looking thing or whatever <laughs> um yeah, I mean I, think,
1: I don't think he I feel like you have to can you romance him? I
0: think you have to be a woman to romance. Okay. Which is funny too. BioWare added like yeah, you can only romance this person if you're a woman or a male uh like uh I'm trying to remember. I mean I can't remember all of the Mass Effect things, so there's so many. I just remember like Liara, I remember was it talia the girl in the mask that like no one knew oh yeah
1: she's she was oddly yeah everyone obsessed
0: yeah everyone obsessed <laughs> over her i remember that like she was the it girl uh because you games. couldn't see
1: her face and yeah the... she had the
0: mask on and yeah. so like people wonder what she was underneath we felt again it felt like people were being like wondering their pervert fetishes were like <laughs> running wild like who is this girl and then it was
1: revealed <laughs> she's just some chick it's, it's like, like um the whole shape of if you've seen the shape of water yes uh the whole like fucking the fish man mm-hmm. my oh, yeah, favorite Garris. yeah yeah my favorite is when uh she goes like to work the next day and talking to octavia spencer and just having <laughs> like casual girl talk and <laughs> octavia just like you fuck the fish <laughs>
0: <laughs> god i remember that scene oh
1: girl you the fish
0: <laughs> yeah it's like then gamers were already predisposed to that because they spent like 10 Ten like five or so, or not ten, uh, like five or so years romancing Garrus as like the female. <laughs> yeah. I th- I, if I remember, I feel like the the female shepherd got all like the alien romances. Mm-hmm. I could be remembering that wrong. Uh, she, yeah, you're, the,
1: one, you're the woman. Your your options open up. That's
0: yeah. With you're a man, you, to life. Yeah, man, you just got you know you got your humanoid GF. A, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. What a dump.
1: Who's always kind of a bitch too.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's the thing too. I remember they always like pushed femship, uh hard in marketing, but it's like everyone wanted to play male ship. I want, yeah. <laughs> I want to be. I want to be. I want to be my cool space marine. I want, and I get to do what I want. I get to be a paragon. I get the. I get the <laughs> yeah. fuck the blue woman. Yeah. Um, but that, you know that's that's one side of the spectrum with romance or love stories. You know whether or not you think the love stories in Bioware games are like eloquently or done or anything. That's I don't think that's the point. But I think what I'm trying to get at is like games because of that like level of being interactive. <laughs> suddenly, now you can approach, <laughs> like the simple concept of a love story into being like your sort of fanfic wish fulfillment simulator. Yeah. Um God I'm remember-
1: girl, you <laughs> fucked a fish.
0: <laughs> god no I oh my God. Uh, so have you played
1: Dragon Age Inquisition? I have, yeah. Oh, Halfway god. and then I just kind of gave up. Oh god I, I love the Mass Effect and and I like Dragon Age Origins en- enough, but not enough to finish it yeah inquisition's
0: bad um it's, it's generally dumb. one of the worst it's i think i talked with um evie um about this uh saying how like dragon age inquisition like genuinely feels like kind of evil in its intent yeah dude where it's so like like the romance part of those games just feels so sinister where it's just like Oh yeah, we have the bowl man who has a fat cock, and he's also beat. <laughs> he's a BDSM like master. And yeah, and he's pansexual. He fucks anything. Yeah, it's, dude. it's like <laughs>
1: yeah. that's where it became like cheap neo-libtard LGBT points where they're just like checking off the list. Of, like what what freaky things can we put in this game? What Freaky things? Yeah, it feels like
0: when. i just think of like on tpm when jack talks about editing the erotica uh, stories (laughs) that's what that's what inquisition feels like it just feels like which is adds it makes it more funny because it's written by a guy like guys i think wrote the game which is like adds another weird layer to it it's like i don't know like I remember that iron bull character which like on one hand like if he was a guy like a normal guy would be like oh yeah like it's perfect but like the fact that he's a bull man mm-hmm. uh who has like big horns and he's like got gray skin i'm just like oh this was the this is the monster fucker segment <laughs> of the game with an eye
1: patch for some reason yeah the eye patch
0: who has his uh tranny best friend uh that he does not <laughs> question whatsoever he's yeah. like yeah i just accept this who's who they are i'm just like oh <laughs> Lord. in this like fantasy setting i'm just like uh my brain's short-circuiting here hold on yeah yeah uh i just that, that was the thing too is like the romances and in inquisition felt like the selling points like isn't there a game in here
1: like that was the selling point for sure i mean granted um, there i mean
0: and to be fair there was nothing coming out then there was like no games coming out that was early ps4 those were some dark times so that's was- why
1: i bought it because i was like i, I got a ps4 what do i play yeah because they it-
0: had nothing you couldn't play back compact games on the ps4
1: the cover so like- art of like the game was like conventionally epic skyrim was huge at the time yeah um, yeah 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 so it just made sense but <laughs> <laughs> and then that- you get it and you're like well, i don't want to i don't want to fuck this guy (laughs) i don't
0: want to fuck this guy like maybe if i'm just like a dangerous pervert then maybe i'll do it to
1: get the trophy but yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna do it just for the trophy ryan yeah you gotta gotta fuck the bowl (laughs) oh god and i remember them having like dev talks being like yeah we've rigged his penis in games like (laughs) it's like what and they're just like, yeah, it was so massive. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> I, I, That's
1: why. Um, so I love cyberpunk in, in terms of like customizable sexuality oh, and shit that you can. A joy toy. I love the joy. The toys. joy toys. You can you can fit your, uh, you can adjust your genitals and. Oh yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> See, something even too like realistic to that world where certain hookups were just very casual responding to a text from like the corporal lady oh yeah she goes to her apartment i love yeah yeah
0: i love like Um, the like romance that bro like that that's another like rpg that has a romance sub story and i love um i'm blanking on his name in cyberpunk he's like the one gay romance you can do he's like one of johnny's former bandmates um i forget his name sadly right now but, but like, like I love that sort of natural
1: romance options. Yeah, in Cyberpunk,
0: it's <laughs> he's the one gay male option that you can have
1: in the they game. Only give. Well, I mean, it's Polish uh, game developers. Oh yeah, they, not,
0: they. I think they felt like they're forced. not quite progressive. <laughs> I think they were like forced. They're That's just, the funniest. Like...
1: Uh, with Witcher One, um, Geralt just kind of fucks anything that moves, <laughs> and and you get. Uh, Little like collector cards of like each lady. It um, it's like a collect oh, yeah. them all thing. <laughs> Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Um, um but yeah, I love
0: Cyberpunk's way of doing it because it just feels very real. Like, like I think of I, I think of that one romance and because well because you know shocker I'm a homosexual so <laughs> I like want to play the homosexual romances. Yeah I, yeah, I just remember Cyberpunk's version of it is very organic and feels kind of actually well done like you know the climactic sex scene involves you on a burning boat uh, <laughs> while you're both like drunk off your shit and it's like this feels real yeah uh, yeah it feels like a natural thing and i don't know maybe maybe it's just because i'm a sucker for that aesthetic in general just like i i the cyberpunk 2077 aesthetic i just I really dig and I really vibe with like it's
1: very well realized like the the violence I mean that's what's fun about the cyberpunk genre in general even like going back to like Akira where it's a world where violence is trivial and taken for granted and so is sex in a quote-unquote like it's a hookup culture and cyberpunk leans into that in a very realistic way Um, much better than like Bioware Bioware, it just feels like they're doing it for weird Points. point, like politically correct reasons. Um, to just be like, hey, don't don't come at us. You can you know, you can fuck anything and
0: yeah, you you can do whatever you
1: want. Who cares? Cyberpunk you though fuck has the dwarf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, granted,
0: the dwarf is an attractive guy, I will say. And I <laughs> i I like the one exclusively in inquisition the one exclusive gay romance that you can have is like with the foppish like uh dandy looking guy with the mustache uh dorian and like his whole story is like uh my dad doesn't understand me uh my my culture uh we can't come out of the closet it's like, oh, I mean, I kind of appreciate that simplicity of like, yeah, that, but it's just like, oh, oh, this feels pers- This, this is like, this is kind of like. I'll int- help him. <laughs> that's literally that's literally the 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 romance quest that you get in that game. It's like I'll help him come out to his dad. Yeah,
1: I'm not even gay. I'm gonna help. Him. <laughs> I'm gonna get that trophy, poor
3: fella. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, God. it's easy to make fun of Bioware just because, like, when when they're cringe, it's like palpable cringe, and the romances are definitely oh, part
1: of it. Well, it has like inspired one of like Jeff Keeley's most famous lines on a uh, Fox News when they were going after like sex and violence and video games, and they were going after Mass Effect <laughs> and grilling uh, Jeff Keeley just being the face of video games so yeah, he's mr video game he's mr video game and bringing up mass effect and like you can have sex in these games and he's just like uh well what you're seeing here is just alien side boob uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alien it, side boob. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm naming the episode that. That I mean that <laughs> that's really all you get out of Bioware. Oh, as yeah, much sex, as the, their sex the hype scenes are around so, it.
2: Their
0: sex scenes are so bad. Yeah. They're like these two like like very like mannequin dolls like bumping in, into each other. It was, um, I
1: mean, what was like Grand Theft Auto 5 showed Titty because four they still had like the, the nipple
0: yeah i, I think uh, so from my memory
1: yeah I'm i remember gonna... i think in vice city there's like a hidden poster that shows pixelated titty and it says the f word on it too because that was huge that was yeah. a huge thing between like max Payne one and two was the introducing like saying fuck in video games oh yeah um, you I, know I, once the ps2 came around we could say fuck now Yeah, I remember like the getaway was the first game that I played that introduced that, and it was was, like a demo of the game, and that that blew my my little mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, in terms of like showing titties, uh... yeah, it's still very you know,
0: sex is still like kind of a weird taboo in games for whatever reason. I
1: don't get it. That's the thing too with Last of Us 2 that they showed like Abby's pits. Like like, and her, her titties are like pretty they're be, like they're decent size. I, I saw them last night. <laughs> what I it's it's she has that like female bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> where she looks like like one of Managed. like Michelangelo's uh paintings of a woman where it's like a man's body with just like female hey, appendages. Yeah, just like glued on
0: yeah um,
1: <laughs> to which everyone thought she was a tranny that's so great
0: yeah uh, but yeah like we- sex is still like a weird taboo with games they like people still can't grasp
1: it's because
0: i think it's just because of the playable thing like because you're in control of it and you made the choice to do it yeah and so like I, I, do you remember the hot coffee scandal of San Andreas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the fact that that was not, it wasn't even in the game per se that you could ac- access. is like a PC mod, right? Yeah. It, they broke into the code to get it on PC. And the fact that that was in there, that you could see like two, like f- 10 polygon models just like clothed. Yeah. Too, cloth- right? Clothed too, because they probably didn't even rigged the sex scene it was just they had to have that in there probably for the like the setup of the scene or whatever yeah but you know the fact that like these two like you know extremely political (laughs) polygonal models are like bumping and grinding and like moaning
1: that it looks like an intense like chiropractor session yeah there's nothing erotic about it no it's just it's funny frat boy humor yeah it's just like it's it's a quick titillizing moment that didn't um, Hillary Clinton, yeah.
0: Hillary Clinton got in on it, feels <laughs> about it, yeah. Cause cause that's up. why I, I, she's, yeah. she's the Statue of Liberty in four because they made fun the of coffee. her. That's yeah, so she's funny. holding the hot coffee, and uh, that was their way of poking fun at her. Oh my she, god, he
1: was not a fan of Grand Theft Auto. Let me tell you, Chillery does not like it. <laughs> um, Grand Theft Auto, yeah, that I mean, that was the easy target. Oh, um, yeah, which you even know. my mom, I remember, uh, we my had our, mom. Yeah, my mom didn't want me playing it either. She was upset. Yeah. When like, Vice City was out, because that's when GTA 3, you know, blew the doors grounds, off blew the doors off. And then, you know, Max Payne and everything afterwards, anything with the Rockstar label came with that baggage. And then oh, yeah. Vice City kind of leaned into it, but made it fun because it was set in the eighties and they had a sort of um eighties yeah, vibe. They they kind was, of
0: it was 80s nostalgia before it was cool.
1: Exactly, um, um, but that one I remember because my my I had friends over and and my friend's mom. I still hate her to this day because of this. <laughs> uh, she's a nice lady, but <laughs> she's a nice she just, woman. She's like, she just saw us looking at the games. She saw like Vice City, and she's like, "Have you heard about the you, this game? This game has sex and violence and that." And my mom's just, just mom doesn't give a shit, but just to put on face, she's like, "Are you? No way! I had no idea how this got here." And she like, <laughs> she hid it in the closet, just you know, within my arm. I'm taller than my mom even at this point. Like, yeah, I just, just grabbed it and kept playing it. But <laughs> yeah,
0: that's funny too because the Vice City was the for one I got exposed to first. Um, my oldest brother was playing at one time. I remember, and he let me watch it, um, which was a weird moment for my mom, where she didn't didn't care that I was watching my brother play something M rated, and I was like eight or something. Mm-hmm. But I was always so captivated. I mean, obviously, like any young boy is going to be captivated by something that is so, like you know. To use the lexicon of a of a of a young child, uh, something that's something so uh, uh, no no uh, or bad, you know. My you know my parents said that's just a bad game or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. There's it's weird how like games always struggle <laughs> to like go that extra little mile with romance or sex or anything. And sure, there is that like for a long time they couldn't animate like character models like fucking or anything like that. Realistically. It's only until recently, like the last of us two, where it looks like real people doing it, Uh that it actually is like, kind of like, Oh yeah, I can believe that. But it's so strange how like people in, in any other, well, granted we're coming out of, we're still in like that period where it's just like sex scenes are still like kind of weird and stilted sort of Mm -hmm. thing, or if they're even allowed uh, like i think of top gun maverick having like the weird just like <laughs> pg-13 kissing
1: yeah yeah like
0: oh they're in bed and fully clothed like whatever um 60
1: year olds who...
0: yeah the 60 year olds just you know in bed and kissing you know they're, <laughs> yeah. they're so cute and quaint yeah you yeah. know the fact that games just like whenever sex is brought up in any capacity whether it's romance or just like a prostitute like calling in GTA there's always like a weird reflexive like uh I wouldn't maybe not uncanny valley but just like this valley that has to be crossed and then you know I guess you know to bring all together this whole discussion is like games are unique in the fact that how they can tackle it romance or sex or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say <laughs> you know playing something adds a layer of immersion and interaction to like everyday day-to-day things like we can live out very fetishistic fantasies that we all have in our minds you know there's no (laughs) there's no hiding it or anything we -hmm. all have these thoughts that come in our mind and games kind of feel like that playground to experience something that maybe possibly that would never happen to us like fucking a blue girl in mass <laughs> effect or you know living out a film cry a, a a a noir love story of max Payne. like getting to have that playable part to it is just like oh like that's the enticing exciting part about a game's romance story or whatever
1: what what's funny about it too is that like the grand theft auto style of sex or like God of War where you have these like sex mini games or you pick up hookers or whatever. <clears throat> that was you know it it was um enticing on like a conceptual level when I was little but like what was most like what I was jerking off to when I was young wasn't any of that but it was like Lulu from Final Fantasy X <laughs> or or even like Mona Sex in Max Payne too because there you'd never you you see some underboob once when they make out Yep, but yep. it was it was the suggestion of the sex impl-
0: yeah the implication
1: the implication it was, is always hotter than like the explicit real thing that which is what pisses everyone
0: off or yeah, like, like the mainstream like, media at the time
1: or whatever yeah, um something Lu- is
0: happening or could be happening
1: lulu and riku from final fantasy 10 are far more did, did far more for me <laughs> uh, than than uh than anything else of that time period in monasac. that's why like max Payne one to me is a, it's as perfect for what it is it's it's as perfect as it can be um, yeah i agree given the tech and given what the it was you yeah,
0: know the knowledge and the expertise and the, yeah and, and the time innovating. frame it came out in
1: <laughs> but max Payne two left such a huge impact on me because it it seemed uh so much more ma- it was so mature yeah. Kind of in the way that like Silent Hill 2, I mean, Silent Hill 2 has its own sort of like twisted romance. It, it, yeah. I mean, the romance at that point is dead. Same with like Shadow of the Colossus where your love interest is dead and you're you're in this sort of like grief process of coming to terms with it. I mean, there, oh, there's yeah. another like that's another category of romance here um, yeah. that has its own sort of like <laughs> my like, wife dead.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a subgenre of romance and games. Max Payne, obviously, being one of them, but also you know James Sunderland and Mar- uh, uh, Mary is a very—it's an interesting take on romance where it's like James, James loves her, but it's like the violence in him can't take it to see her in pain. But he, you know, doubles back and regrets oh, everything.
1: That yeah, I, mean, I mean, and you got pyramid head as like your your projected libido and and oh and yeah, is like that that game is very um titillating and in, in another. I way. would even
0: I would say Mac. Or, um, I was gonna say Max Payne, uh Metal Gear Solid. Well, not like <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Metal Gear Solid also has like great romances, whether it be Big Boss and Ava. Um,
1: Real, and dude, the, Metal Gear Solid. I mean, Meryl and, and Snake, Metal, I love um, Meryl. Sniper Wolf. I. I, I mean, There's... I recently bought a Sniper Wolf shirt because she was a, another hot figure. Just oh yeah, she, she had cleavage and she purred. You know. Yeah, she
0: purred um, and she like she just that like exotic element of her being like ru- was I can't remember if she was Russian or not, but like I think va- so, v- vague Eastern European yeah like, country. Like there was there was a layer to her too that was like captivating but you know
1: well that game took like it took the western male like 20 years and and i think even like maybe up until like listen to perfume nationalist for like the straight american man to admit that the the men in, in those games were hot you know oh, yeah. There's, like, <laughs> yeah they're idealized forms yeah i
0: mean and kojima because he's he loves the body whether it be male or female like, he will just, like, gravitate on any body part that he can see. And even on something so primitive as a PS1, you see it still, where it's like, oh, hey, Solid Snake has an 8-pack constantly showing. And one of the main sequences of the game is you being, you, hip, you Snake being tortured while he's shirtless, yeah
1: yeah and then they you know
0: they they elevate it to the next degree comically
1: they have like something just hiding his penis from like the camera oh yeah the oh
0: yeah mgs2 like raiden is fully naked uh (laughs) which will never not be the funniest thing but also like kind of like me being a solid snake's biggest uh uh simp uh kojima saying yeah i wanted snake to have a bigger ass than right to <laughs> e- emphasize how much of a better soldier he is i'm just like huh what does that mean uh solid Snake has literally like the ghetto booty before ghetto booty existed <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> yeah and then even like three <clears throat> i mean granted every metal gear has some like weird fetishes metal
1: metal gear 4 even though oh. you're old snake like the whole Oh, I think old feature. snake's the hottest. I think um, old snake's the hottest one. It's funny, uh, because like they add the crouch feature, and it's like oh, yeah, ninety percent of the game is like ass, you're just staring at his ass, his <laughs> ass
0: flexing. Yeah. Like, they they finally had the technology to show snakes' ass like clenching as he's like yeah. crawling. I'm just like, what is? <laughs> I just think of this like funny image that I saw that a says It's just a kid looking at the TV and like some character that like he finds attractive. It's like, mom, I feel funny. <laughs> um and it's just like me seeing like solid steak on my screen it's like mom i feel funny yeah. um yeah and every metal gear has like that weird fetish torture scene where it's like in mgs3 he's like bloody and shirtless and like cry- gasping for air and pain and with a like bag over his head as his torturer vulcan vulgan is like yeah, a sadomas- yeah. sadomasochistic bisexual
1: yes yeah
0: and uh yeah then he
1: like grabs your junk right, yeah he grabs to- your
0: yeah he grabs your junk to check that you are his boy toy lover rykov
1: dude it metal gear is the most bisexual yeah uh, and absolutely. kojima is
0: not kojima is not that he's he has kids and he's married i think but he's uh, japanese and you know yeah, he's you japanese know
1: fucking those fucking perverts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his games are full of piss, like literally. It's funny too, like even like the older characters, like the boss, the woman in oh the yeah first game, like he still it, makes her fuckable.
0: Yeah, like
2: uh,
1: you know, he
0: showcases her scar on her stomach in full view, and she wears that skin tight white suit in. Yeah, like he always finds a way to sexualize his characters, and it peaks with Death Stranding, where he uh makes uh like a proto like celebrity rape simulator with Norman Reedus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where, like you get to make Norman take a shower and take a shit and go piss and he uh you get to like stare at his crotch and then Norman flushes like an anime girl. <laughs> like yeah. I mean one That's day right. I will I will explore my uh, deep connection to the snakes and the bosses uh because they're beautiful <laughs> creations of one silly Japanese man. Um <laughs> But I think, you know, I think I guess to wrap up this, like this very tangential uh, discussion that we had, which, you know, I love. Yeah, this is fun. um, Romance. I want to
1: summarize for myself real quick. Oh, yeah, you you go.
0: Because
1: I got to do this compartmentalize the this romance in games. You got you got sex. You got the conquest, which is like Mario and Zelda. Where (laughs) We covered a lot. Yeah. You got the romance. You got the the princess damsel in distress, where she's a, a form of conquest. Um, what else do we have? We got the Bioware romance options. Yeah, mannequins bumping and grinding. Mannequins bumping and grinding. You got the GTA sort of mini game fun, up <laughs> prostitutes. Yeah. Um. What What would the lady Una? I mean that's like Final Fantasy 10, Max Payne 2 and I'd say Last of Us 2 are in the same category of like I think
0: it's the sort of like growing attached to characters <clears throat> through a long journey you know you get to see the full facet of who they are cuz you know they have the luxury to do that you know Yeah you don't have like unless you're a, like a soap opera where you are having multiple seasons through you know decades you know, tens of ten, hundreds of hours, like a game kind of gets you close, very close to um, that sort of experience because you're given the liberty to have that amount of time to explore yeah. a relationship. And I think RPGs are such great vehicles for that. And even The Last of Us 2, it's not an RPG, but it's still like a 20 hour game. Um,
1: They're all like, yeah, the soap opera, uh, operatic.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, Final Fantasy X, like the world is ending and, you know, your love is cut short, but like the love is still there sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, romance, romancing the game, romancing and games like I think games just allow for the idea of love to be explored in many facets across many hours and and by playing the game yeah you get to feel that and i feel like with a lot of human emotions games allow you to experience that i think that's uh unless you have anything else to say ryan i mean i mean i think that's a I think that's how it. we get. That's how we get into it.
1: Wait, last two categories. I forgot Silent Hill. My yeah. wife is dead. Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> my wife is dead. There, there's the grief romance. And then the. What the fuck was it? The romance in the stone, Indiana Jones, Elena. I don't admit whatever. Now I'm just spiraling off. Yeah, that's fine. Um, But yeah, I those think those are all the categories of gaming romance. romances. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. I mean,
0: hey that's the beauty of games but i think that brings us to the game of tonight which is uh max Payne 2 dude hell yeah let's go that, that's a break that was so good that was, fun. That, was a, that was the most tangential episode yet but like that that was like the most fun like opening half i've
1: had dude, was it was just so natural it was spiraling around a a, a, a topic a central topic yeah it was perfect <laughs> yeah, that was that was so so good. Uh, Dude. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny, the the only game the only game character I've actually jerked off to was Riku. Um Fair. I mean, because, I can understand that. And and playing the game, she was never like an erotic thing to me. It was always Lulu. Riku mm-hmm. was was too uh she was like a kid.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: um I had this game informer where on the same page, it had Jenna Jameson, the porn star um, Ray Liotta. Cause I think he's the voice of the vice city dude. And then it just had like Riku at the like, top left. And I remember like, I was in that like middle school, like just jerk off phase where you're like jerking off like 10 times a day. Yeah. And like my, <laughs> I brought that magazine and like looking at Jenna Jameson and like my eyes went up to Riku and like finish that and then like to this like the whole time i just felt such shame like dude i'm gonna live with that for the rest of my life dude Riku. <laughs> whenever i see riku now i'm just like filled with shame <laughs> i mean
0: hey no there's no shame in this podcast no it's shame with me i mean i've <laughs> listen i've jerked off to solid snake and big boss and old snake <laughs> i don't care
1: what about the keeper snake
0: Oh yeah, too. You no, know, Venom Snake too, of ben. course. Yeah, venom, <laughs> venom Snake. Oh, lovable Venom. Uh, what about Kiefer? <laughs> uh, K- Kiefer. Okay. It's funny <laughs> to think too, because like, there's that video of um, there's that video of in the when they, when they were making the game, they were like, oh yeah, now we can like face capture like Kiefer's like. You know his um, expressions and that's what you see with snake so now it's like huh now like deep down underneath venom snake it's like for sutherland so am i jerking off
1: to or sutherland <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
0: like <laughs> i need a level r- of,
1: of abstraction here
0: <laughs> i mean i guess in a sense that it, by jerking off to solid snake and big boss i'm technically jerking off to uh what's his name um big trouble little uh little china what's his oh, name kurt russell yeah kurt russell
1: because that's what snakes based off of dude he that's that's right he was um because i was obsessed with the movie overboard yeah, um, yeah, yeah in a weird freudian way because my my mom oh, goldie han always run me of my mom um because she they kind of look identical and my mom loved overboard and so i just i thought like kurt russell's like the the peak model of like masculinity mm-hmm. you know and i'm like I'm, I'm the case like i did i didn't grow up with like a father figure at home so like my father figures are like on the screen yeah, yeah, kurt, yeah kurt russell is like he was like the guy yeah know? i can see that i mean he definitely has that um
0: presence in any film he has i mean i think uh what's the movie where he is the alien and he falls in love with the woman and he like pretends to like look like her dead husband it's like star or something oh um let me see Stargate? it's a, it's a it's a it's a carpenter movie let me see John carpenter movies debating if I will include this in the in like the episode or not because <laughs> <laughs> This is this is a good topic. Jerking off yeah, to yeah. video game characters. Riku, Where, I... uh,
1: Starman. Okay. Like, oh wait.
0: Go on. Uh, but yeah. Oh no, that's Jeff Bridges. Oh my God, Je- Jeff Bridges and Kurt Russell kind of look similar to me. Yeah,
1: he was Bridges was a honk back in the day. I no, mean, he when, still is. When... Uh...
0: <laughs> I remember being. Uh, to reference the picture of I Feel Funny Mom uh, when Jeff Bridges <laughs> was in that uh, that uh, Cohen Brothers movie um, in like the early 2010s uh, where he won the Oscar I forget the movie it's like a John Wayne movie that they remade oh True Grit yeah I was like him with the beard in the, in the eye patch I was like huh weird solid snake vibes hmm. that's um, true yeah
1: i was like he's a, huh <laughs> He's like especially grizzled in that one yeah uh, like i just
0: remember yeah like this i i don't really remember the movie that much i just remember like there's the one scene where he's like in his like what uh he's like in i don't know what the proper term for those like type of clothes like long johns yeah yeah and he's just oh, yeah. like and he's like just being like a grumpy curmudgeon i was
1: like huh is this my future this one-eyed man with liver failure and his long <laughs> johns is just doing it for me. <laughs>
0: Listen, when you're young and you're like it being assault. Well, granted, oh, I was dude, like I, I was, I totally granted, I was like 15.
1: I oh, totally get it. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're assaulted with like images of like men and women. You're just like, what? what tickles my fancy? That's so funny. I mean, I come from a perspective of like women to me are just kind of like vessels to which I can be like oh slay cunt fierce diva boots yeah yeah (laughs) um but i can't appreciate a beautiful woman when i see her on screen it in in games too it's always kind of fascinating like the female character like elena was one of the first female characters i remember really like standing just because i could totally see that because she like just puts up with drake's shit in the entire series even though she like doesn't want to she can't help but fall in love with this like uh, this like renegade and it was like same elena same <laughs> yeah. like uh you know this like this like very clean cut but has a little bit of edge like journalist she's, woman
1: yeah she's a... <sighs> who would be like the she'd be like a brie larson maybe oh brie larson would be great playing her i think yeah yeah because brie larson's bit... another one where she's like she's got the, the the advantage of being blonde, but yes, she can be just the most Squirt. on the surface mundane average looking person, but then you learn her little quirks and her interests and you're like, dude, you're the cutest little fucking, <laughs> you're the cutest little plunky <laughs> little lady I've ever seen. <laughs> oh uh, man,
2: it's
0: yeah, I'm trying to think of other like game character women. I mean, men it's always been the snakes like duh for me
1: that makes sense
0: i mean to me kojima made the most beautiful men in games with the snake all oh, the the various snakes except for liquid he could die uh, just <laughs> kidding uh even solidus even solidus is a wood yeah that's
1: right solidus
0: um liquid is too pretty to me um, he doesn't. like yeah, he's
1: he's like the Val Kilmer too. Yeah, he looks punkers. like Val Kilmer.
0: He looks like Val Kilmer.
1: There he's... had to have been there had to have been that must have been the direct. I mean, well, I mean, the eighties were very much the brunette protagonist against the blonde. Villain. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and you could that probably leaked into the nineties. Oh, yeah, um, I mean, Liquid is
0: like the perfect clone and snake Did, solid do you ever see
1: um do you ever see the anime goku midnight eye no i haven't that one i just watched and watching it my my first thought was like i feel like this influenced metal gear um strictly especially the second so it's like in two parts in the second part um the main guy is this brunette dude who's just a hunky cool dude and the villain is this like blonde like Aryan nazi dream blonde ubermensch yeah Um, yeah. there's a whole in in the first one too that the main guy like he there's a part where he infiltrates this building by through scuba gear like in middle gear one that was Mm -hmm. my first thought where like i feel like kojima may have stolen that specifically but i wouldn't be shocked i mean kojima
0: wears his influences on a sleeve and he does not make it subtle what he likes and what he's interested in especially at the moment in time Mm -hmm. i mean heck just look at his twitter page you'll see what he's like (laughs) like um like if he's posting about wool kid and churches you can guarantee your ass that those they're going to be in the soundtrack of his next game (laughs) or he's going to like make a call or you know Metal Gear Solid 5, he likes David Bowie. Oh, hey, he's oh, yeah, the man dude. who stole the world. Yeah. Like, he does not make it subtle what he is into. So I wouldn't be shocked if that influenced him. I mean...
1: I think it's free on Prime if you're into that. Like, I think it's 89 anime.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean... I don't know much about his anime. I need to finish the book he put out of... Uh, the, the creative gene um mm.
2: uh
0: which has a much better title uh in japan yeah uh, uh, let me see i want to kind of it's it's a long title and it fits perfectly um uh, where's the Japan because it's, it's on the japanese cover it's not on the english one is that like it is yellowed yeah the book? yellow book yeah, yeah. The, the gifted gene and my lovable yeah memes. okay like but in america it's just called the creative gene okay with the uh death stranding type gold font okay which granted i like don't get me wrong it's yeah, just yeah. like i love the cre- i love the creative gene and my lovable memes <laughs> like that's such a hymn thing like um i gotta I, piss so bad oh yeah we'll, I, we'll 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 do a piss break okay uh, we'll, we'll come, continue we'll, that
1: because I, I got some thoughts on that too
0: oh yeah i mean this this is gonna be a bonus
1: i'm loving this dude yeah, me too <laughs>
0: Uh, so, Max Payne 2. The Fall of Max Payne. Uh, the sequel from the game we were talking about last week, obviously. It originally came out October 14th, 2003 on the PC. Uh, it, get, it got a Xbox and PS2 port later in the year, much mm-hmm. like the original game. Uh, this was an interesting time for Remedy. Um, at You know... <laughs> Rockstar had the publishing rights to the original game's console version, and they offered to buy the Max Payne property as you know, Rockstar was gaining traction and massive success uh, after the success of GTA 3 and the sort of cultural powerhouses that they had become. So they offered to buy the Max Payne IP from Remedy, to which Remedy agreed uh, for ten million dollars. <laughs> With mm. the exception that they get to make a sequel, and so you really get a sense of with Max Payne two how much more refined and fine tuned it is. It is it's amazing because it's not on a fundamental level very different from its predecessor. It's still very much the same type of game. It's John Woo action meets hard boiled detective film noir uh, storyline uh it's still you know a bite-sized story that can be like four to five hours long and there's no multiplayer mode it's basically in many cases more of the same but you really get a sense of how far they came in just a short amount of time i mean max Payne 2 feels like a gargantuan leap when you play it it feels better to play it looks better to you know to play it the finer little remedy flourishes are like w- much better thought out and placed there's the voice acting's better the graphic novel cutscenes are better the music's better i mean max Payne one took like five years to make and for this to be made in two years it feels like they had learned everything that they could of and just like turned it up to 11 in it, it's one of, it honestly is this one of my favorite games i've played i re- i replayed it this week and i beat it in one sitting <laughs> uh and i had like the most fun in a long time just going through this game this journey of max as he you know like the title says the fall of max pain and i mean i i don't know where to start i guess you know to start what do you think of max Payne 2 ryan
1: yeah, I mean it <clears throat> I remember distinctly when it came out um it it almost felt like next gen like the upgrade from the first one and like as we we spoke on the first episode like the first one left such an impact because of the dead baby and because of the subject matter and the bullet time and that Max Payne 1 solved the problem quote unquote of bullet time in mm-hmm. gaming Um and then Max Payne Two comes out and like the the game opens up, you get your opening, you get your intro. Um, that it sets the tone with a sort of like graphic novel cutscene and all that, and then you are thrown into like that hospital sequence. And as soon as you like first pick up a gun and shoot someone, Mm -hmm. and it just you just it feels so weighted. Like I I just remember, um the weight of killing someone in this one was so heavy yeah partly because of the ragdoll physics and at the time like ragdoll was oh huge. yeah this, um, this, this is one of
0: the first games to have havoc in a uh, havoc physics engine which was like a, a big new thing at the time um and the con the concept in general of a physics engine in your games where things are reacting to your inputs you know, passively if you boxed you brushed against a box, the box fell over. <laughs> yeah. Or you know, like it seems so trivial nowadays, but like that was huge. And Max Payne 2 was actually one of the first games that had Havoc physics engines built into it, which I think just elevates this game even further.
1: Yeah. That that first impression of okay if if Max Payne 1, the first impression was the dead baby that this one was just that you shoot the guy, and um, in the hospital, and he like flies into whatever that desk full of items, and they just they go scattering everywhere, and his his limbs are everywhere flying. Mm-hmm. I like I just I, that I viscerally remember as like holy shit, you know? Yeah, um, and it still the, hit. It still works today. It yeah. still feels great, you know. Um, mm-hmm. There, I remember at the time like having. Feeling like I I enjoyed that in games and like calculating my heads like which games feel good to kill mm-hmm. people and which ones don't yeah um where you feel the weight of killing mm-hmm. um it, I mean we talked enough about like Last of Us one and two because they they made a whole like art of that and a whole like moral calculus around killing where you're intended to feel like the moral weight of it but Max Payne you felt the physical or Max Payne, two, You felt like th- this there's a physicality now where these mm-hmm. are like, um, at the time, like human bodies that you're shooting. Yeah. Um, it's and that visceral, it's, it's visceral, and that it, it is encapsulated in this rain soaked love story. Mm-hmm. Um, and not love in the way of it, not a positive, like. You get the girl, like Mario and Peach, where you get the girl and it has this happy uh, ending, but in the sort of love hurts, um, everyone you know is going to either betray you or die or both. Um, it was very uh, adult and mature in a way at the time that was groundbreaking, and I think still it's very rare like the few games have lived up to that um mm-hmm. yeah I, I i i was obsessed with max pain 1 but max Payne 2 just left such a huge impact and it was one of those private games i don't think i ever like played it in front of anyone cuz max pain 1 i had friends where we like we enjoyed playing it together and this and that but i i think this is one where i was like just sitting in the basement by myself um and just taking it in by myself and feeling whatever I was feeling. Yeah. Um, It
0: it demands your attention more. The first game obviously has its like merits uh, when you pick it apart, but it definitely, especially back in the day, you could definitely feel there was like a little bit of like charm to it, especially with the matrix being so fresh in everyone's mind. mm -hmm. Like, so I was like, Hey, look, I have a game that plays like the matrix sort of thing. Yeah, but like with Max Payne two, it feels like it feels like a game you have to like devote your attention to one hundred percent, or you're not going to absorb everything that it's trying to impart on you as the player. And you know, um, I think what is so striking is to this game, even now, almost literally twenty years after it came out, is how just like. It's like a game that does not beg you to pay attention to it it like it's a game that like demands you to understand like just to like be immersed it's like an it's one of the most immersive experiences i've had with a game where it's like when i pick it up to play it it is damn near impossible for me to put it down like mm-hmm. i from the get-go it like it hooks you in with the hospital sequence and you're not sure what's going on like what's max Payne doing in a hospital why are these like uh assassins all after him why is like the nypd chief getting gunned down in the hospital <laughs> you know who is this woman Mo- you know why is mona Sachs back even though i thought she died question mark sort of thing yeah yeah like it, it hooks you in from the get-go and then you really get a sense of like this is like the tragic fall of you know max as a character which was it was it was a little bit alluded to in the first game but the first game definitely has it's like merits as a very straightforward like revenge story with like little bits of pieces of like oh, hey, this Max is kind of a tragic character. Max has, like, flaws and uh vices and all that sort of stuff, but it's more so you're reading between the lines sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But with Max Payne 2, it really, like, you get a sense of how through Remedy being more confident in their ability to convey themes or ideas, like, it just it becomes something magical to experience. Like I, I forget if we mentioned, if I mentioned this on the first episode, but like Sam, like obviously the writer of the games, the creative director over at remedy in between the first two games, he went and got proper schooling on writing. You know, when yeah. he went into max Payne one, he was a, he was an amateur um, and then he got proper schooling and you really see like monumental leap that he took as a writer with Max Payne too. I mean, infamous it says that in
1: the game of former uh, article here. Yeah. That- like
0: infamously, the script was like, uh I forget the exact total, but it was like triple the size of the original game in size and scope. And it was just like, yeah, even, even on a, even though the game comes off as simplistic, like on a, you know, glance uh from like, your average day player. There's so much
1: at play here. That's like mm-hmm. fascinating. It's cool. so layered. It, even now, I don't feel like I've totally absorbed everything that it's saying and doing. Um, And I've played it so many times. Like every, every time I pick up on something, mm-hmm. um, which, which is, I think credit to its brevity because it's shorter than the first game. Yes. Um, Like you you can finish it in like one night and i remember that like working against it in terms of like its reviews where they were like
0: where's the multiplayer or where's the replay value but it's
1: on the quote-unquote objective measure of that it's shorter to complete but it's like no there it's it's much more densely layered um narratively and gameplay wise and there's just so much more to absorb that you're, you're almost overwhelmed um you have the core of Max and Mona and their love story and like that's the through line that that that's what grips you and then like Max and like Vlad the Russian who's briefly in the first game and he becomes like the uh the villain. villain yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> but the way that the story is told and the the way it jumps forwards and backwards in time um mm. in this concentric way it, it's very artfully done and it's very poetic and just beautiful um yeah. and it's it, just w- what we said in the first episode that like max Pin one there's there's not really much or any like sex eroticism um it's just a purely hot-blooded revenge male revenge fantasy. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's like a, a cold, rain soaked, erotic. Um just it's so damp. And yeah. mm-hmm. I, I mean it lives up to like the fall of Max Payne, which is almost funny because like the fall, it's like, dude, he's already at a low point. He lost his wife and his daughter and what- yeah. And he
0: and he even says like getting his revenge did not satisfy him.
1: Yeah, well, and it repeats like throughout throughout the story in this Freudian way. Like the hole, like his past is this this hole, the genius of the hole. Yeah, he can't fill the hole, and you're and you're gonna fall back into the hole. Like you, you try to just. So I mean, how much time within the game has passed between Max Payne two and one? Because he, it, basically, it's like enough time has passed where he's back to being a cop, and he's. Just kind of going through the motions of being a cop, and he doesn't seem to get much enjoyment out of life. His character model seems so; he seems like he's twenty years older than the Johnny oh, Knoxville yeah. of Max Payne One. Yeah, and I don't feel like much time has passed, which no, just shows... I think it's two
0: years yeah, between and one and two.
1: He goes from this this young,
2: clucky.
1: Hot... yeah, <laughs> yeah, Johnny Knoxville to. Uh, he looks like he's five years away from retirement, maybe. You oh know? yeah, totally. Um, and, which is but, cool that they even did that—that that they allowed him to age in this way, and it feels um, natural
0: too. It doesn't feel like, like I, I, I understand like why they did it. You know, out of necessity and budget and time, they couldn't, like obviously, get like an actor to dress up as Max Payne, and they couldn't. Um, they couldn't within the constraints of their, you know capabilities, they couldn't do it. like they couldn't get a proper actor to play Max like or any of the characters. They're all, I mean, they're, as we said, Max Payne is portrayed in the game by the writer Sam Lake and his like family and friends at the studio like but, by them hiring like professional actors portray these characters it almost feels natural like the the world itself is like aging them it's like it's bringing them closer and closer to the end whether it be of their life or their story or just like there's like a weird like negative energy at play in this in new york city in this game where it's like the characters are just being pulled through all sorts of manner whether it be dealing with the crime or dealing with the sort of internal struggles that they have like there there's there's like a like a david lynch negative energy at play and that's why you see like max is this like very older man and you also see him like for most part like covered in like bandages and blood and just that solemn expression of just him looking like he's just gonna (laughs) he's gonna just like like just end it all like constantly. Yeah it
1: it's like that um that Louis CK joke about certain people and you just wonder why they haven't like killed themselves yet. You Mm know? Yeah 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 and and his like hit the him and the world he inhabits is just so drab and dreary and then what he he gets to he has to fall up on this case um i i forget what what even the place is but where he encounters mona sax and mona who is in the he, she's in the first game she gets um, quite the upgrade she gets quite the upgrade because in the first game she's just like ethnically ambiguous <coughs> frumpy of, frumpy girl frumpy dumpy uh stock character and then she that, becomes like a femme fatale yeah um, like but what's yeah and like what what they earn that by saying like um i mean she comes she comes out of nowhere in this like red leather like this Tyler Durden red leather and she like reanimates him and and just reignites in him something and he says that she's she's something from his past and he's he's this man with like survivor's guilt that his Mm -hmm. his wife and his daughter are dead and he's still alive and like what does he do with that you know yeah
0: and yeah he gets one chance
1: and here's someone from his past who's like vaguely connected to his past that maybe he can find some sense of he can reconcile something through this person um Who's oddly now like very hot and has <laughs> uh, very fine lips? Oh yeah, <laughs> um,
0: very fine.
1: Yeah, she's she's very sexy, which is funny because when you when again you play the when you play Max Payne one and you see Mona um, knowing that <laughs> what she's gonna become in Max Payne two, you're like it's, it's funny. They had, they had no idea. <laughs> well, yeah, because they 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 originally wanted her to die.
0: Uh, but a, an employee at Remedy is like, No, I can you keep her alive, Sam? Lake? and he's like, Sure, okay. And then it's like, That's like the greatest, just like uh, <laughs> an, empo- an employee just saying, Hey, uh, keep her alive, please. I wonder
1: if that's because she's a twin and her twin is named Lisa because it's so it's Mona Lisa, uh, which is funny. And I think it's just one of their, their like little quirky, noirish oh
0: yeah artsy fartsy things it, it, it's kind of like a ayn rand names
1: exactly yeah um and mona sax like saxophone but also sex yeah um
0: it's all these like word plays you know
1: yeah the like max and then sax and the amount of like x ex- like the whole thing is just ambiently sexy and yeah x-rated it's... But, but she just comes out of nowhere and reinvigorates in something in him and and she is uh, a primary suspect of one of Max Payne's colleagues winterson mm-hmm. who's I, I winterson is like one of Max Payne's ex-flings or something I, right I think so I think I think so one of Max Payne's female colleagues in the police force she's um She's she's a hard ass. She's a hard ass. She's a cold bitch, and she's tracking down Mona, who Max didn't even know was still alive. So oh. it becomes this sort of like Romeo and Juliet thing, where it's, he's he's part of law and she's part of crime, and there's yeah,
0: yeah. There's an just, the, it's rare to see a game just kind of delve into just the straight up concept of lust, like max clearly trying to as you said fill a hole in his life with another hole basically for him (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i think this sort of back and forth dynamic that they have through the game i think it this is a thing i have with max pain too and it kind of ties in with him being like high on painkillers you know it kind of becomes like a daze as he's like just traversing these uh, even more well realized and well detailed you know practically ghettos uh mm. apartments and locations and it feel it gives the sense of like you know inhibitions are down or inhibitions are up and max is just succumbing to every part of his sort of locked up part of his like subconscious is being like dragged out of him as he progresses through the game whether it be his violent (laughs) tendencies or his lust for uh mona like there's the you know the phone lines that you can interact where he you hear him talking to like on the sex line and he's just like instead of just being, like, an instinctual male, like, trying to play up the phone sex, he's like, oh, your name Mona? Uh, oh, dude, to- yeah, and that's just, right. And he just, like, kind of, like, has a therapy session with a prostitute over the phone, and she's like... That Who-?
1: part is so sad. Uh, yeah. It,
0: he's, it's rare to have a game put you in the shoes of some guy who's,
1: like, at any moment could just break. Well, because he seems so pathetic, too. Um yeah again in max Payne one he's this johnny knoxville hot blooded creature yeah and in the second one he's this pathetic worn out he's just this wet rag of a human Mm -hmm. and um it's funny because like him and mona kind of like they go back and forth of being like damsels in distress but like max is more of the damsel than mona throughout most of it like she's now this sort of like hot johnny knoxville figure
0: I mean, so much, so much to the point where there's the gameplay sequence where you play as Mona protecting as Max. Mona, yeah, like I, yeah, that that's a great point that Max feels like he needs saving throughout the entire. Even though you play as him, and your majority of the game is from Max's point of view and playing as him, but you really do feel like he's like, in a way, kind of crawling through this world that is like slowly destroying him that he just can't take it anymore
1: he's like going through the motions even down to like you return to Ragnarok which is a setting in Max Payne 1 oh, yeah and you return to Ragnarok and so even like the action sequences at the beginning of Max Payne 2 is still like he's just going through them the even though he's still doing the slow motion dives and he's still you know uh mm-hmm. doing the insane stunts that have been upgraded to the you know when you run out of ammo in slow mo it does that like 360 camera yeah it's and so, like reloading it's it so just, cool but it's you so know. sick but he it's just he's so like deadpan and deadface about it um yeah he yeah that
0: deadpan face that he's giving through the game that sure is more or less a limitation of the hardware they couldn't like animate his face doing everything but it's because of that limitation you get a sense of just how over it he is and just i wouldn't yeah he feels like he just wants it someone to just put him out of his misery but you know mona is like that one bit of like humanity that could get him out and he's willing to endure some wild (laughs) moments through the game like you have the sequence where you go through the t- the the, uh, the TV show uh, amusement park, which is like oh that's right one of, yeah. the, one of the coolest locations for a game. <laughs> like it's such a wild location that comes out of nowhere. Honestly, mm-hmm. like I can't imagine. Like no, and I love just the amount of detail that is in that level like just all the different stop signs and that level too also kind of reflects uh, max's state of mind where it's just like you see like all this like graffiti on the wall it says like red rum you know murder red red rum rum. yeah Um, mirrors are more fun than television
1: yeah it's a theme park based off of um, the fictional show address unknown, yeah, which plays throughout Max Payne one, and and the address unknown is where like the mirrors are more fun than television, um, the sort of Twin Peaks knockoff, and mm-hmm. and address unknown plays with the whole like Lynchian idea of the double of like the fictional counterpart to Max Payne, and so when he goes to this theme park in Max Payne two, it's like he's He's reliving um His the pat. first game, but in this like kind of mock parody way where it's almost like mocking him. Because all the all the V the green drug v, syringes. Yeah. Valkyr. yeah um yeah.
0: and the fact that in this TV show in the world of the game, um the main character of the show is once again portrayed by Sam Lake, you know, the former actor of Max.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all
0: and all the other sort of characters from the original game are in this TV show. You know, it at for one to add kind of a sense of levity, you know, but also mm-hmm. they're great mirrors into sort of Max's perspective on things. Like even even the Dick Justice stuff feels like Oh man, Max, you're just a cool guy. Like you're the revenge seeking, <laughs> you're the re- revenge seeking, you know, motherfucker. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> where Dick Justice is a black exploitation retelling of the first game, <laughs> and yeah. like it's uh, like you know Max's previous game is being portrayed in a very ludicrous fashion in one scene, but in another Dick one, Justice. Yeah, which was one of the original names for Max Payne, which is Dick Justice or Max Heat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. which also is the isn't that the the sex line is called Max Heat? Yeah. Like it's uh, it's like this weird meta moment. If you knew like the backstory of the game, it's like yeah. Max Max himself is being deconstructed by the game world as he's being like pulled apart in so many ways. We're the point where it's like you get a sense of he doesn't know who he is anymore.
1: Yeah, it's but, very delirious. It it remind it is very much like um, Max Payne Two is Twin Peaks: The Return, mm-hmm. where the the game is much shinier and smoother than Max Payne One, which is very rough textured and very raunchy and trashy. Um, but that tra- the trashiness of like Max Payne One is very lively and animated and energetic
4: mm-hmm.
1: um but max Payne 2 it it seems like everything's even though it's like smoother and updated it's ch- just shittier and it's just rote and um yeah like we said going through the motions and shit but it but it's like the the first like act of max pain 2 is just like he's just consistently being mocked by the world around him and the theme park is like the most explicit example of that, where he's just being just mocked and yeah, um, yeah. I don't know where where to go yeah, from no, there. I, but. No,
0: I think and it's interesting too because that's where is Mona actually hides out in the game. That's her hideout. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like you know, in the midst of a of a location that is more or less kind of you know ridiculing Max. And for what he's gone through, you know, Mona appears in this sort of like self-referential, d- deprecating location. Mona appears, you know, even though Mona appeared earlier in the game, you know, Mona is there to sort of like be that vessel to escape the sort of painkiller haze that Max lives in, where mm-hmm. he's he's he. I wouldn't say it's like a arrested development type, like uh like living but he definitely feels stuck in a world that does not want him in a sense like the yeah
1: it, it's like he succeeded at aa and now it's like now what you know now life is much more boring and shittier than when i was a drugged up hyped up yeah, you, reven-
0: know, you know, revenge killing red-blooded
1: uh male. Yeah, now I like theoretically got my life together and have a job and career, but like I I got nothing though and I'm I am nothing.
0: Yeah, and Mona is the vehicle out of that spiral. But, you know, Mona plays so well off Max because, you know, like in a great femme fatale from any movie you don't know her intentions you don't know what she's ultimately trying to get at with Max so you start to become entwined into the mystery of who she is at the same time like Max trying to piece together his own life Max trying to find meaning in his life what is Mona doing and it's all this like very interconnected spider web of just like happenings and that's this is why I say the game is like a great game to replay constantly because you you can keep learning more and more and more about it. Like you get to pick up on the little subtle details of the plot if you know you're into that, or you get to see more of just the way the world interacts with itself. Whether it be again hearing the great mob mobsters interacting with each other, or watching the three tv shows lords and ladies (laughs) uh address unknown dick justice or stay and watch the sex uh line uh commercials like
1: yeah they add in uh dangerous liaisons Uh, oh yeah a, (laughs) a raunchy late night show
0: oh yeah like it just feels so it feels so elegantly layered on top of each other and it's like it i wouldn't say it's like a meta sort of like critique of the first game i mean there are points of it like i think of like the one nightmare sequence max has where he sees like the billboard saying like i should i forget the exact phrase but it's like i should end everything Mm -hmm. um as he sees like himself on the billboard with mona and mona kind of feels like um like you said, she has like a Tyler Durden esque presence in the story, where you're not too sure what's going on. With yeah, her, it's very, like to the point it's where you very think like, unlikely
1: she, that she should even be there because she like should have died. Like she got it shot like in the elevator. You know, yeah, yeah. Like it
0: almost feels like because you know obviously in the first game Max creates an attachment to her. It's brief, but you do get a sense that he has built something up with her. But in a way, you there you could read into it and say, like, oh, yeah, Max created Mona, <laughs> this idealized Mona character yeah. to sort of save him from being stuck as a, you know, average NYPD police officer trying to just, like,
1: trying to figure the fuck whatever is going on. i mean that's what's funny because he's like he's viewed as a a local hero for the events of max Payne one um but all of your time in the nypd offices is just him getting yelled at and berated yeah um yeah
0: winterson and yeah i forget the 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 guy
1: in bravura yeah bravura is, is uh the superior who's who, who kind of mirrors him too. Yeah, he's always popping pills and drinking and mm-hmm. has his own like issues. Um
0: yeah, it, no one is a truly good person in the world of Max Payne. I mean no. granted, in in Max Payne 1 you could argue like oh Max is the clear, you know, quote unquote good person. But like in Max Payne 2, everyone has a motive or a reason to be the way they are and i think that's so yeah it's
1: almost like farcical where um a good farce is the comedy from those is that like you you have people who have their assigned social roles um you know you get people who have you know they have their business or their police officers or they're this or that but like what truly is motivating them is much more libidinal. Um, and as, as Max Payne 2's story goes on, you you find out this person is betraying this person because, like, for example, Winterson is the sec- she's the secret mistress of like Vlad, the Russian mobster who's Mo- Max Payne's best friend. Vlad's in the first game as well, like he's the other returning character. Uh-huh. um everyone has these underlying much more animalistic motivations um mm-hmm. driving them that is at odds with their professional social roles and um it almost becomes like comical like uh, the way I'll, like this web of like betrayal and just everyone's like up to something
0: you know yeah it it's Maybe to like the average person, they're like, "Oh my god, all these betrayals and all that stuff." But it feels it feels fitting considering the game has the lords and ladies soap opera parody. <laughs> there is like a, a sprinkle of soap opera, you know, double crossing, <laughs> triple crossing at play in Max Payne Two, but that kind of fuels the melodrama of you know what is going on here. And also, I love that Max Payne 2 isn't afraid to have like a moment of levity. As (laughs) I say, as I'm looking at my computer screen, and you have granted, which is arguably the worst part of the game, but it's the funniest part of the game where you have to escort uh, Gogniti in the baseball bat boy. Yeah, that's
2: right.
0: (laughs) Was it it baseball?
1: Baseball bat boy. boy?
0: Yeah, which is also another TV show that you get uh on the on the tv in the game like (laughs) but yeah like i i love how you have this sort of like morose sort of like story at play that's like constantly uh like bouncing between sort of meta commentary of max as a character max Payne as a game it's this you know dark noir story and all this all this sort of stuff but -hmm. then it has one of the main villains of the first game dress up in a giant cartoon uh baseball you know cartoon character costume uh as he's squabbling stereotypical italian uh, (laughs) dialogue back at you and he also has a collection dedicated to this cartoon character he's like yeah well it's gonna sell for a lot of money, Max.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm a collector. <laughs>
0: yeah, you don't know how much money I'm gonna make. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, he's, I love this. It's
1: funny because Vinny Gogniti is the only um he's the only like Italian that harkens back to the first game. Because I think mm-hmm. like we said in the Max Payne one, uh it's very like Goodfellas, Joe Pesci. Oh yeah, it's Joe um, Pesci to the max. Yeah, and I feel like um <laughs> The the second, Ma- I mean, Max Payne Two is m- much more focused on the Russians, but when the Italians do show up, it's much more Sopranos. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell that the Sopranos influence leaked into Max Payne Two because they're all kind of like fat and curmudgeonly. Oh yeah. And, um, they they're much more realistically Italian, but oh, except yeah. for Vinnie Gogniti, who's like the one Italian character from the first game, and he it- still has that Joe Pesci uh campy
0: yeah over the top just ridiculous nature to him which i yeah. kind of love how you know he's in that outfit that ridiculous outfit which is actually a bomb that if he you know takes enough damage he'll explode
1: yeah it's but, that like saw I, torture device it, it's
0: know, like... yeah it's a saw torture device that's like hilarious um but also kind of like tragic but in a way i always saw it as like it's like Max Payne Two is rejecting the sort of old guard, the the old standard of the world of one. Like there is no room for camp after at a, at a certain point. There's no room for over the top Italians, you know, talking about pizza, pasta, and you know <laughs> all that stuff. Like Gogniti meets his end. Because yeah. he fails a trivia question. Yeah, yeah. And also like there's the Italian mobsters that like team up with you for like five minutes and they're also ridiculous stereotypes and they also yeah. get killed. Like <laughs> it feels like the world like the world of Max Payne is rejecting them at the same time. It's like you, uh-huh. you're you're not allowed here anymore. Yeah. Like it's so it's 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 so layered. I don't think
1: we mentioned in the in the first game my favorite. Italian stereotype is when um you're like eavesdropping on a guy, one of the Italian mobsters on the phone. Oh, forget about it. Yeah, forget about it. Forget about it. Hey, forget about it. Yeah, it's so (laughs)
0: like it's yeah. These are Finnish people making a game, and they're just like, "Eh, yeah, if We make fun of
1: Italians. Yeah, yeah. This is what we've seen on TV. Like, yeah, they they replace the um the Italians are more i don't know, faithfully depicted in max Payne 2 whereas the russians now are the sort of like campy like yeah. like um vlad's uh second in command or like the the deputy guy or whatever you know like the cowboy like the cowboy yeah <laughs> <So> <laughs> baseball boy or... yeah baseball bat boy or <laughs> yeah whatever that is. Yeah, like... yeah very yeah. funny <laughs>
0: Uh um, I'm always glad that Remedy always finds a way to like break the tension in like just a natural way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, um
0: it's yeah, it it's also going off Gogniti's death. I love that <laughs> much like the rest of the series, it embraces obviously Remedy embraces its Lynch inspirations and the scene that where you learn how Gogniti you know, dies is such a out-of-body experience. That nightmare sequence is yeah. so good. Like where you the sky, the roof off of the building is like gone and you just see this red sky and you just walk into a room. I forget what the TV says. It's like our our friends are God, I wish I could remember it off the top of my head. It's such a great, just like disturbing moment where you just see like
1: when you oh, learn how Gagniti died. Yeah, his
0: yeah, like the exact details, and it's told through the TV screen.
1: My my dearest friend.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, our dearest friends or something. Yeah. Um, uh yeah,
1: because Vlad says that to everyone. Uh yeah, yeah, it reveals um Gogniti's death through one of those nightmare dream set. Cause okay, there's is there's like three nightmares. Yeah. Um the first one is like Max is just taking a dearest nap. of
0: all my friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, the
0: that's what shows on the TV when Gogniti uh you see the truth of how he made his end. Yeah.
1: Cause the final nightmare is when Vlad shoots you in the head. Yes. And you're in this sort of like Bardo. Um, it's not even just a nightmare, it's like you're between life and death. Yeah. And Mo- Mona pulls you out. Um, but but yeah the tvs in the nightmares kind of fill in the blanks of like what what's going on with other people in that lynching way it shows how Gogniti died it also one of the tv shows an encounter between mona and vlad mm-hmm. Um because there's there's this sort of uh on max payne's part this sort of like male jealousy of between vlad and mona that they're Before you find out that Winterson is Vlad's secret lover, it kind of sets it up that you think it's Mona, Mm -hmm. um, that Vlad and Mona are fucking on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that nightmare sequence, it kind of clears it up that they're not because they're antagonists towards each other. I'm not totally clear on the details because I she... Mona's working for Vlad or she's working for Woden or, or something like that. Yeah, I mean,
0: I don't think it's, n- I mean, you could pick apart the plot details, but I don't yeah, think, that's that, necess- that doesn't- I think that's necessarily important with this no. game. I think it's more sort of being on that, like, surreal, like, drug trip,
1: you know, you're high off painkillers. Well, I mean, the, the only thing you want playing this game is, like, Max and Mona to get together. And yeah, and you want that. It, that it's it's a like you're just edging the whole time, and, yeah. and like they're, yeah. they're barely like getting there. And even like the most intense, like quote unquote, sex scene where you see like her under boob, it's just an intense makeout session that gets cut short, and that's like the closest they get to each other.
2: Or
0: or the scene where you see Mona showering.
1: Yeah, like and <laughs> she's
0: uh, she's singing the, the, the theme
1: yeah the theme Late song like, off
0: key. yeah um, I mean it I I can't, I'm, I can't remember if we were saying this earlier in the episode or off episode but it's like the implicate impl- yeah we said this earlier so the implication makes it more titilizing of like yeah. the, these two gruff hardened like <sighs> people who are brought together seemingly destined Mm two and it's like you know what they are capable of and it feels so much more sultry when the two do like occasionally meet for like five minutes and there's like the tension between the two is so strong and so captivating that you are just like enthralled by just this sort of like this you know literally like film noir love story that is unfolding and you know it's destined to end badly and the game is and the game is not like hiding that from you i mean they do such a great way of hiding the fact that mona dies at the end right at the start by the way they frame the graphic novel page yeah where it looks like she's standing but in reality she's on the floor bleeding to get full of
1: blood yeah
0: where it's Yeah,
1: yeah i mean you he meets her and then like within what 24 hours or so she's dead yeah. Uh, and he didn't even know that she existed before. So like she reignites something in him and then she dies. Um yes.
0: v- Max again has his way out removed of his his like safety blanket from the cruel world of New York City in this game. You know, Mona represented a way oh, out, God. a way out and he once again gets that taken away. You know, he had his wife and daughter taken away in the first game, and then now he has Mona taken away from him. And So now it's like he's presented with a choice of Mm -hmm. do I succumb to you know, misery and despair, or do I find a way to make it through the end and fight, you know, just fight for a better ending basically. And I think that's what's so powerful too, is that it's through the marriage of gameplay and the, through the marriage of like the story that you are, you, the player want to see things through the end, which in a, in a, in a, in a way fuels how Max is trying to finally escape his sort of loop Mm -hmm. of pain, you know, pun intended. Like (laughs) he's finally, you know, you're giving him that final push to say enough is enough no more tragedy and you know you know the game ends with the credits like max will max's journey will continue through the night or something yeah forget something you feel like you you as the player are like the invisible hand giving max that extra oomph to finally escape his you know never-ending loop of pain yeah Yeah. it's
1: hard to even like nail Down because like the lat the very final frame is it's like those lips. Um that are both like Mona's and his dead wife's. Yeah, I I had a dream of my wife, she was dead, but it was all right. Yeah, and that's like I don't that intuitively makes sense. Like he felt he finally got some sense of relief, but it's hard to imagine how. It reminds me like with like Fire Walk with me, Twin Peaks, where like the whole movie is Lauren Palmer just going through hell and there's like nothing good happens. And then like inexplicably the last scene, this like angel comes and visits her and she's smiling happy.
0: Yeah. Um, And and Mona that, that panel of Mona's lips like it like Max is given just the briefest like uh payoff like yeah he is capable of escaping the you know the pool of misery and i think what is so powerful about this is that it is all done through your actions as a player i mean on the surface level, yeah, John Boob, you know, Matrix, Slodo, you know, all that stuff. That's great and all. Don't get me wrong. Like, you can enjoy yeah. the game on that level, but I think what's so captivating is that through the marriage of your just actions of progressing and fighting through seemingly un- impossible odds of these cleaners that are trying to, you know, whack you, so to say. Mm-hmm you overcoming those odds you find you know you persevering through mona's death and finally for all intents and purposes seemingly ending you know the inner the the sort of cogs of the machine of this universe have been undone and that yeah max can finally escape now obviously he continues his story in the third game You know, and I don't want to get too much into three because I'm saving that for a later day. But I think Remedy viewed this game as kind of like a goodbye to Max because I don't think they were not going to be making a Max Payne again because Rockstar owned the IP. But I feel like, in a way, they gave their own creation, you know, their own character a way out of his own despair and I think that's very beautiful to accomplish in a game and it feels very personal as a result like you know you can tell Sam Lake and the team at Remedy they knew what Max was supposed to be this dark noir John Woo action hero subjected to some of the worst things you could ever experience as a person not let alone a game character but they give him that one little brief moment to say you know everything will be okay in the end you know you the cycle has been broken it in a weird way kind of feels near automata ish the cycle has been broken thankfully <laughs> yeah it's up to max if he wants to go forth and make that change completely <laughs> Also, it feels very evangelian in that sense, where it's like, yeah. uh, where Max is now given the tools to craft the world he wants, and it's up to him to fix it or do it. Oh,
1: so, yeah, I mean, I got, I got to do one last piss break. Okay, that's fine. I got a piece so bad. That's fine. I got, some, I got some brilliant points. I'll be right oh, back. Oh yeah, we're
0: we're good. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to our Return to Sender Marathon. Two days and two nights of the 90s cult series, Address Unknown. All the episodes in a row, a real descent to madness. I was lost in the streets of Noir York. The city had swallowed Mira and my girlfriend. I was part of some elaborate game, complex for its own sake. <laughs> every time i looked over my shoulder i saw a shadow disappearing behind the corner with a glint of binoculars in a window they were spying on me following my every move when mira killed again the map of the city changed like a shifting glacier a new crack appeared with every gunshot i had abandoned all conventional methods of navigation I was following the bloody signs. He kept leaving me. And he was watching me do it.
0: Yeah, we're back. We're back from outdoor piss breaks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the part that what what struck me the most playing it this time through for like the twentieth time? that Mona arrives in Max's life and then she leaves and it just like transforms him within like
4: 24 hours.
1: Yeah. And it's this unconsummated meaning like they don't have sex love affair and she Mm -hmm. totally uh, consumes him. Yeah. Um, That, uh, that struck me. I mean, if you ever see like the movie, Victoria, from 2015 no it's like a. I loved it it's like um it's a euro trash uh filmed in one take kind of thing um mm-hmm. this girl victoria is this she's a spaniard in berlin oh, oh. i
0: i think i've heard of this Not that i you love mentioned it
1: I- so much um this is one that i i ended up watching like three times within 48 hours because <laughs> it's another one that just seems to understand love and love as this destructive force that just enters your life and yeah, it consumes you. you it consumes you and for her she's um I similar to Max Payne and Max Payne too she's it, it's revealed that she's this sort of like musician p- pianist protege who hasn't found success so <clears throat> she's working at a coffee shop um who probably deserves much more um mm-hmm. she she like spent much of, like her entire life training to be a pianist but just due to the opinion of others just couldn't get there um, and there's a the whole like sequence where she like plays the piano. And it's like the most glorious thing, but she, she meets this guy who she essentially falls in love with, but who takes her um, through a certain sequence of events. She ends up like getting involved into this, this bank robbery
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, the spoiler alert, like he <laughs> dies, everyone dies. Like <laughs> These people this group of friends she meets are killed within that same night that she meets them and she falls in love with the- one of them and she leaves richer, like she leaves with the money, and it's kind of on this ambiguous note, like where the most likely thing that's gonna happen is that she's gonna get caught and thrown in jail. But maybe she'll leave and go to Spain and be may, like maybe fulfill mm-hmm. her dreams or what, whatnot. But um the unconsummated love affair that enters and leaves your life is the most tragic thing and even like the most minute example of that is like times where you're at a bar and you have a very um hot attraction to someone Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're maybe about to hook up but certain things happen where they're just like you know they have a, a shitty friend who like pulls them away and then you never see them again or something then that just like weighs on you for the rest of your life
2: yeah you just, think,
1: you just think about them um yeah. mm-hmm. that is sort of like the center of max Payne and um its idea of love as something that kind of it, love is something like it's like um this meteor that just hits you and destroys you. And yeah. if anything like ruins your life, like Max Payne's career is like ruined here. Um, yeah. I mean, he can't go back to the NYPD and it shows that like in Max Payne three, like he's a, he's a mess. You yeah, know? He's, and it co- he's it now continues. an alcoholic. Now he's
0: an alcoholic and a pill pusher.
1: <laughs> yeah. It continues from there. But like if, if they didn't have Max Payne three, like you could imagine that. Yeah. Um, it's uh that is a very real thing. um, um not not to get. I mean, I, I told you like what you know my my dad died like last mm-hmm. on on Halloween like last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started playing this game like midway through while he was dying, you know, so like the this was very much on my mind. Um, I say my dad, I mean, he, he, he was my stepdad, but like, he was my dad, you know, Mm -hmm. um, he entered my life late in high school and then he dies, you know, 10 years later. And it does throw you in this sort of like, um, you, you feel like you're at the subject of like God's sick sense of humor like what the fuck was the point of that you know yeah um this person enters your life and you love them to death and then they're gone and what do you do with that you know mm-hmm. um that's the most um tragic and real experience of of love um that you can i i go through or or like that that is that is max Payne's two's uh idea of like love um it's it's the purest form of love um yeah some something that just demolishes you that you almost have to like illogically reach a point of um closure or or i don't because the way that max pain two ends where it's just like it's okay you know and Mm -hmm. and you have to it's hard to it's hard to figure out what that even means like how is that okay you know like what what's okay about any of this Mm -hmm. within the story and um why did any of that happen you know yeah um because it, it seems like cruel much it seems very cruel. Um,
2: yeah,
1: I think
0: what you yeah I, I yeah I mean Max Payne two depicts love as the most brutal, the most energizing and euphoric you know power of human life. But on the same on the on the flip side. It shows how love is destructive and only brings pain. Yeah. You know. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, that was my point. I, I was gonna get the, last night. I mean, my girlfriend and we love watching like reality TV and trash TV and shit and like Bachelor and Bachelorette. Yeah, being one of them that we tune into every week. Um, <laughs> it's funny because like the the values that are espoused in like Bachelor. In bachelorette is like this idea of like self-love and you'll see with like a lot of the contestants where um like the episode we were watching last night was like the the women tell all of bachelor and the contestants like some of them were saying those who did make it to the end they, they create this bullshit narrative of like you know what through this i learned to like love myself and that <laughs> love is about like loving myself and it's it's um this narcissistic idea of like love mm-hmm. comes back to you and i like the, the current when i see people trying to date today that's a very common theme they say is like uh i gotta wait until i'm ready and that yeah. these are on like my <laughs> the root the Ru- RuPaul plans not,
0: the rupaul saying you know if you can't love yourself then how in the hell are you gonna love somebody <laughs> else can yeah. i get it? i mean
1: Yeah, there's there's some truth to like to that, but true love is like it's not anything you ever plan or ask for. Not not to like get all corny and whatever, but this is just how it is. Like,
2: yeah,
1: someone comes into your life and when you least expect it. What you call the self, which includes your worldview, it's like you look at the world and you look at the next five years and you think this is what I'm gonna be doing, but then this person comes into your life. And it just demolishes all of that. And then you're not even like um, acting to your own judgment or like your own accord or like by your own. Um, th- the self is no longer exists. Like you're, you're completely consumed by this, this other and this, this person. And it it's this demolishing force that comes in and, it's like the it's like the planet on Lars von Trier's Melancholia that just comes in and destroys everything. Um, mm-hmm. it, it that's what love is. It's like love is going to totally destroy who everything. you are, and then if you survive that, then maybe you you become a more complete sense of yourself, or you come back to yourself in a certain way, or whatever. But like, <clears throat> um, it's this like death process um yeah yeah you know what you see in max
0: pain too max does not prepare or expect mona to come back in his life mona becomes the most important thing in his life for 24 hours mona is then proceeded to be taken away from him when he needs her arguably at the most and then but through it all like in this total destruction of himself him his world around him because pretty much every character from the first game dies you know Mm -hmm. mode mona woden gogniti vlad you know they're all basically wiped off where only max is standing Yeah, everyone died
1: bervera winterson
0: yeah everyone from the first game is dead now and only max only max survives and To most men, they are presented that sort of reality and it would destroy them. They would never come out of it. But the fact that Max Payne 2 is a game and it kind of ties in the goals of you and Max trying to get to the end, trying to see things through, put an end to this conspiracy web of death and drugs and what have you and it and, you know if we were to sort of remove Max Payne 3 from the equation you see how by you the player interacting with Max for four hours or eight, eight or nine or ten if you include the first game you see this very the story of a man who through the worst losses you could experience as anyone, you kill Winterson, you lose Mona, you lose your wife and daughter, you lose practically everyone that you thought you had a connection to. And yet, in the end, Max Payne comes to term with it all and is ready to move on. And that's a very t- beautiful human thing to experience and the fact that a game like this in 2003 from a team that had only made two games before them had only made this game in two years you know in still in relatively a very young point in the industry's lifespan to convey all of that so gracefully and elegantly i think is one of, if not the most highest achievements the industry has accomplished. And I think this is the power of remedy at their peak.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When the the marriage of gameplay, the marriage of story, the marriage, you know, the themes and complex layers to their narratives all come together in this sort of symphony of art, that you come to really appreciate why Max Payne 1 and 2 are so highly beloved. And I think also why Max Payne 2 is seen as so beloved by fans and why so many of them view 2 as the peak of the series. You know, it doesn't need a 10, 20-hour, 30-hour story game to get its point across. You get everything you need to know in four hours and I think that is really the ultimate staying power about Max Payne 2 it, it feels very triumphant through the darkness that is able to sort of uh like birth a new future that at the moment when Max Payne 2 concludes there's seemingly Max has his way out of it all and i don't know i mean it's genuinely one of the most moving experiences i think anybody can have with a game it it it, i would say it sits in the sort of life-affirming pieces of media where it does not i mean it subjects you to some extreme facets of being human being a man but it has this sort of randy and triumph of the spirit of the person of the man overcoming everything leads you to something p- potentially greater in the future and yeah. i think that's the the magic of max Payne too i mean i don't know what else i can say i mean this game leaves me speech i mean it's a game where i can talk about it endlessly but at the same time it leaves me speechless Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm amazed i'm amazed that this was accomplished in two years by a relatively still fresh in you know young team and you know for a long time this was viewed as like max's final goodbye for Mm -hmm. a lot of people you know remedy was saying goodbye to max Payne until you know recently when they're remaking the first two games now but you know it's like a not only is max saying goodbye to the world that he was occupying for years of his life it's like remedy is saying goodbye too and it's very touching it's really get to see that sort of like levity in a game both inside the game itself and sort of externally too mm-hmm. so I mean is there any I think in terms of I think we've exhausted this game I think yeah, we, that, that's I, mean, <laughs> I mean I mean do you have any closing thoughts on Max Payne to the fall of Max Payne no mean I mean yeah I, mean, I think we it, co- man I think we crack the code as it were on Max Payne 2. I think everyone needs to play this. Obviously play the first game even though the, the second the first
1: this, and the two is like that's the package deal.
0: But yeah. you can get on Steam for $15. Uh, they include both games and if you have a laptop made after 2010, you can play this game, both of these. They're they're not taxing games by any means. Uh
1: but yeah. then play uh, Final Fantasy X and ten Part Two for yeah. Yeah, an it's extended a under- love series.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's the extended love love uh, umbrella of the third place. <laughs> uh, but again, I thank you, Ryan, for joining me on week two of Remedy Month. Oh, man. And thank you. I can't wait for when we come back to arguably possibly... I mean, could be my favorite game in Alan- with Alan <laughs> Wake. We'll see. We will... We will deep dive into Alan Wake next week, but I can't thank you enough for joining me again, and I think that is where recording will stop.
3: In our headlights, staring bleak beer cans, deer's eyes, on the asphalt, underneath our crushed plans and my lies lonely street signs power lines they keep on flashing
4: flashing by and we keep driving into the night it's a late goodbye such a late goodbye and we keep driving It's a late goodbye I Your breath Hello.
3: Hot upon my cheek Can we cross That line You made me strong
4: When I was to a goodbye. yourself, grown old. Mm-hmm.